What do I have? 605, if you're ready. We are ready, Mayor. Thank you, everybody, for your patience. We um, are live streaming on YouTube, and we have the Zoom meeting going, so we're ready to go. Mayor Finkelai, thank you, Bojo, and sorry for the technical difficulties, everyone. We're now ready to begin the October 5th City Commission meeting, and we'll begin with some words from Porter O'Neill, our Communications and Creative Resources Director, about the operation of the meeting. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening, everyone. I have just a few housekeeping items for this Zoom meeting. Um, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. Please remember to state your name each time you speak for the benefit of those participating remotely. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Finkeldy. Mayor Finkeldy, thank you, Porter. I'll go ahead and take roll call. Vice Mayor Shipley? Here. Commissioner Nanda? Here. Commissioner Lawson? Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. We're all present this evening, and now we'll hear from our city clerk, Sherry Wiedemann, about the public portion of this meeting. Thank you, Mayor. Um, just a few procedural reminders. Commissioners and staff, please state your name and title each time you speak. Mayor, when a motion is made, please call on commissioners individually to provide their vote and announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, the mayor will first call on those participating in person. Individuals wishing to provide public comment should approach the podium following social distancing and safety protocols. Participants are required to wear a mask, but you may remove, but may remove their mask while making remarks at the podium. Please state your name before speaking and your comments will be limited to three minutes. The mayor will then call on those participating virtually. Individuals providing public comment via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, Please unmute and state your name. And again, your comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. Mayor Finkeldy, thank you, Sherry. Um, before we, we begin the agenda tonight, I did want to take a moment to speak to our Indigenous students, staff, faculty, and all Indigenous peoples of Lawrence to say that our hearts are deeply saddened to hear about the vandalism of Native hosts the public art installation by Hockey IV Edgar Heaper Birds on the grounds of the University of Kansas Spencer Museum of Art. Heaper Birds is an internationally renowned 
for creating artwork that inspires thoughts and questions about environmental justice for, justice for Native peoples and their land rights. The City of Lawrence recognizes and is humbled by its long and historic relationship with Indigenous peoples, including all of the students, staff, and faculty at Haskell Indian Nations University and the University of Kansas, past and present. As we'll hear in a few moments during the proclamations, we are proud to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day each year. Laurentians also deeply value the power of art and its ability to raise historical and cultural awareness, challenge conventions, and affect benevolent change. We understand the significance of Professor Heap of Bird's artwork and the importance of an Indigenous artist exhibiting work at the University of Kansas Spencer Museum of Art. We also understand that destroying Professor Heap of Bird's artwork is hurtful, not just to the artist, but to so many others who have suffered at the hands of ignorance and arrogance for so many generations. While some might see this only as vandalism, we understand that the impact of this selfish and hurtful act goes much deeper and reflects old wounds for indigenous people and many others who continue to be targeted by systemic racism in our society. To all of the individuals impacted by this act of aggression, we stand with you. We stand with you in grief, anger, and sadness. And as so eloquently exhibited by the First Nations Student Association and the other protesters last week, we also stand with you to embrace this as an opportunity to expand awareness, understanding, compassion, and growth. As part of the city's strategic plan, our mission is to create a community where all enjoy life in an equitable and inclusive way and feel at home. On behalf of the entire Lawrence City Commission, I reaffirm the city's solidarity with the indigenous peoples in our community. We condemn all acts of hate and racism, including the theft of vandalism of property that holds a special place in the hearts of our friends. Thank you for being part of our community. With that, we are now going to move to our agenda. The, um, the City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Do any member of the City Commission like to amend the agenda? If not, I look for a motion to approve. This is Commissioner Ananda. I would move to approve the agenda. Commissioner Bowley, second. Mayor Finkel, aye. There's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Bowley. Commissioner Ananda. Aye. Commissioner Bowley? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. aye. Passes 5 to 0. We now move to the proclamations. And our first proclamation is to proclaim October 2021 as Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I believe Will Averill is here to say a few words before I read the proclamation. Hi, yeah, Will Averill, the Willow Domestic Violence Center. Um, first off, I want to say thank you so much uh, to all of you on the commission, and I'd like to extend my gratitude to the City of Lawrence for being willing to commit to the reading of this proclamation um, and, uh, and the many others that I have seen read throughout the years. 2021 marks my fifth year at the Willow. And each year we have worked with the city to establish Domestic Violence Awareness Month, or as we like to call it, because we love jargon, DVAM in October. 
And each year I have appreciated the opportunity to connect our services with the city to remind the community of what we do and the staggering statistics behind domestic violence. Um, I've been thinking about these proclamations and what they mean, aside from being something that we do because it feels like doing something, what is the larger purpose? And this year I wanna talk a little bit about that. I think it's easy for us to look at domestic violence as a personal or family issue, but each instance of domestic violence the, uh, affects not only the abuser, survivor, and their families, but their religious community, their workplaces, and their community at large. In 2019, we completed a study with the engineering department at KU looking at the average costs of a domestic incident, and we found out some really fascinating and disturbing facts. First off, domestic battery call calls are alarmingly frequent, totaling 30 to 50% of incidents involving officers. Not only that, but they can be among the most dangerous, particularly if firearms are involved. For the last few years, we have been partnering with the Lawrence Police Department uh, on the Jessica Gonzalez Victims Advocate position. This advocate works with victims, officers, and court legal representatives to provide information on our services and also how to help survivors navigate legal systems, which can also be, uh, which can often be confusing and intimidating on top of all the existing trauma that's going on. This program has been hugely successful at raising awareness uh, and it is vital. Uh, based on the study that we, we did with that engineering program, $1 of shelter services at the Willow saves $8 in emergency services in a crisis incident. If we can stop these instances before they occur, not only do they benefit those directly involved, they help our community. Uh, we are very good at helping people once a crisis has occurred or within the community afterwards through advocacy and support groups. Still, it takes all of us to work together towards ending domestic violence. And that, commissioners, is what makes this proclamation so important. I know that you as a group care very deeply about Lawrence. I've seen it in the meetings I've attended and in conversations with you all. So I ask this request. Please consider this proclamation and the public aspect of domestic violence. We can all, as a community, assist survivors by believing them, by working to make our systems, including law enforcement, court, housing, and shelter services as accessible and free from barriers as possible. We can learn to be trauma-informed in our approach to policies on folks working through trauma, and we can continue to develop innovative programs and partnerships. Uh, the Willow offers free community presentations and trainings on many of the subjects I've touched on. Just want to encourage everyone in the community to use us as a resource and please join us for any of our events that are going on this month, this month, excuse me, which you can find at willowdbcenter.org backslash dvam2021. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks for, thanks for those words and thank you for putting this in perspective. I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas more than 20,000 calls are placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide every day, and whereas one domestic violence incident occurs every 23 minutes, and one domestic violence murder occurs every 11 days in the state of Kansas, and whereas the impact of domestic violence is felt not only by individuals and families, but communities and, a nation, and the nation as a whole, and whereas Lawrence joins with others across the state of Kansas and nationwide in supporting domestic violence victims and survivors, the advocates and organizations who serve them and holding offenders accountable in our community. Now, therefore, I, Brad Finkeldey, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, to hereby proclaim October 2021 as Domestic Violence Awareness Month. 
in recognition of the critical work being done by domestic violence advocates and allies in service of the survivors and victims they serve. I encourage all citizens to actively engage in the scheduled activities and events sponsored by the Willow Domestic Violence Center and other organizations working towards an eradication of domestic violence. Thank you very much. Thank you, Will, for all your work. Thanks, Megan Stuckey and, and your entire staff for all you do in the community. And I certainly do encourage everyone to get out and, and learn more about this topic and, and make um, Lawrence a better place by um, eliminating domestic violence in our community. Thank you. The clapping's just not the same on Zoom as it is in person, but the intent is good. Thank you, Will. Our, our second proclamation is to proclaim the second Monday in the month of October as Indigenous Peoples Day, as mentioned earlier. And I think Dr. Ferris is going to maybe lead us off with a few speakers before I read the proclamation. Yes, good afternoon, Mayor, good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, Ferris Mohammed, Director of Equity and Inclusion for the City of Lawrence. And on behalf of Indigenous Peoples Day proclamation, uh, I think we have with us this evening Representative Christina Haswood, as well as uh, Melissa Peterson from the University of Kansas as the Director of Tribal Relations to uh, share a few words with us this evening. Um, but before they launch into sharing some words on behalf of the proclamation, um, I did want to take this opportunity to give, provide an update to the land acknowledgement statement that the commission discussed a couple months ago. And so just as a brief update related to that, uh, the city attorney's office and uh, Office of Equity and Inclusion did discuss the equity uh, Department of Equity and Inclusion taking the lead on this matter. And so in partnership with a few uh, community member, indigenous community members and experts in this area, which includes uh, Melissa Peterson, as well as uh, Professor Sarah Dare, who's a distinguished professor at the University of Kansas. And despite her being on research leave for the next year or so, she was still able to sort of accommodate me and help provide me with some resources and some updates uh, as we was able to share different resources about where should we land as it relates to the development and use of land acknowledgement statements here in the city of Lawrence. Uh, we were able to attend a uh, conference together called Beyond Land Acknowledgements. And um, one of some of the takeaways that we debriefed from that conference was sort of to make sure that we proceed at a delicate pace related to the development of a land acknowledgement statement, because there are some national conversations that's going on as it's becoming more and more common to see these uh, at different uh, government functions, festivals, uh, conferences, uh, places of worship, et cetera. And many people are starting to have more and more concerns surrounding uh, its use as far as uh, what people refer to as um, um, uh, optic allyship, so making sure that the uh, land acknowledgement statement in and of itself is not just sort of performative, but making sure that there are some action steps that's happening beyond the acknowledgement. So we're working together to try to figure out with the community uh, what might that look like here in Lawrence. And so uh, I know I believe Melissa Peterson is also here this evening and want to give some uh, updates as it relates to some uh, events that may be coming up to kind of help create more awareness around the Indigenous Peoples Day. So. With that, I can turn it over if she's uh, present here to Representative Christina Haswood. Uh, 
Thank you, Dr. Muhammad. We've been working together on, on numerous events, so I'm sure he can share some of those details in an email or, or something uh, here in the future since Indigenous Peoples Day is next week. Um, I'm actually going to read a statement from the First Nations Student Association. Um, they're not here tonight as either one is protesting or busy with some studies, but uh, we, the First Nations Student Association leadership, want to take this opportunity to thank the city for presenting this Indigenous Peoples Day proclamation. It is so important for local government to bring visibility to Native faculty, staff, and students at Haskell, KU, and to the Natives who live in the city and surrounding areas. Despite colonial disposition and the state-sponsored acts of genocide to remove Native people as stewards over this land and its elements, Native people are still here. We are living, contributing members to society that bring value and insight to our areas of interest and our interactions with the community. Indigenous Peoples Day is one way to bring more awareness to Native people and our contributions, but visibility is not enough. What is more important in this moment is to increase the social, political, and economic power of Native people in the community so that they can lead on critical issues in democracy, the economy, community health, environment, the arts, culture, and tradition. We are very thankful for the city's support and standing in solidarity with us as we are working through some direct and targeted acts against us at KU. We also thank you for the city's commitment to the native community with this proclamation. We'll leave this with a challenge. We want you all to consider how you can partner with indigenous communities to give a platform for our native people. Indigenous people and their solutions are worth considering and supporting. So um, I'm the advisor for the First Nation Student Association as well. So we've been dealing with a lot of things on campus. So the proclamation for the city is definitely um, helpful because you, you have that support from the city. And I think that that also leads uh, those at KU to follow that as well. So um, thank you for, for doing this today. And uh, I look forward to more work together, especially with Dr. Muhammad and um, a lot of the things we do today is definitely going to be helpful for our future generations, uh, like my daughter here who's sleeping through this. So thank you. Mayor Figalai, Dr. Muhammad, any other statements before I read the proclamation? Uh, Ferris Muhammad, Director of Equity and Inclusion. I believe uh, Melissa Peterson was going to strive to make it this evening, but perhaps she had some schedule conflict, perhaps. I know she wanted to share about some updated events that was coming up, but if she's not present, I can try to get that uh, information sent out to you all. Yeah, go right ahead. Hello. That was Melissa Peterson. <laughs> Sorry. Hatito Chucky Wietha, Lori Hasselman, Nitesi Thosen, Nila Nokila Nape. Hello, everyone. My name is Lori Hasselman. I'm a citizen of the Delaware and Shawnee tribes of Oklahoma. In 2015, I was uh, one of the Haskell students that organized the uh, March to encourage the city commission to uh, pass the initial proclamation along with my uh, friend and student colleague, Barbara Wolfen, 
and some other community members. And um, that was a lot of work that we did, uh, that we put in as indigenous people and also along with uh, uh, some of the community members. We weren't the only ones that, that tried to encourage the city to do that. There were many students and many community members before that. So in 2015, when the initial proclamation was passed, it was a very important day, as, as important as this day is. And I think that by passing the proclamation today that the city is making a commitment to those folks that put in all of that hard work and we're coming together as a community and solidifying those relationships and working toward building those relationships in the future. In 2015, there were nine cities that had passed similar proclamations and Lawrence was one of those. And so I think that we can stand very proud in this moment in knowing that um, Lawrence was breaking some real ground in 2015 and that we're moving forward in that space and um, again just building bridges between indigenous people of our community and and uh, our community members as well as these two universities that we have uh, in Lawrence so uh, I really appreciate that the work that was done in the past is being continued and appreciate the passage of this proclamation today thank you Mayor Finkel, uh, oh, go ahead, Ferris. Yeah, Ferris Mohammed, Director of Equity and Inclusion. My apologies. Uh, I meant to say Representative Christina Haswood. She mentioned that she may be in um, in route traveling, so she may not be able to make it uh, present to here uh, virtually. So maybe she's not here this evening. So with that, that's probably it, unless there are some other additional people at City Hall. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Ferris. Thank you for those comments. Also, Melissa, thank you for the comments. And on behalf of the Student Association as well, I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas the city of Lawrence recognizes that the indigenous peoples of the land that would later become known as the Americas have occupied these lands since time immemorable. And whereas the city of Lawrence recognizes that Lawrence is built upon the homelands of the Kanza and Osage indigenous peoples, and whereas Lawrence, Kansas is home to Haskell Indian Nations University, currently representing over 120 federally recognized tribes from throughout the United States. And whereas the city of Lawrence values the many contributions made to the Lawrence community through indigenous peoples, intellectual, spiritual, and deep cultural contribution that have enhanced the character of the city of Lawrence. And whereas the idea of Indigenous Peoples Day was first proposed in 1977 by a delegation of Native Nations to the United Nations and sponsored International Conference on Discrimination Against Indigenous Populations in the Americas. Now, therefore, I, Brad Finkeldye, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, to hereby proclaim the second Monday in the month of October as Indigenous Peoples Day in the City of Lawrence and urge citizens to reflect upon the culturally diverse struggles of indigenous peoples on this land, to encourage ongoing efforts to reflect the full and accurate history of our place, and to celebrate the resilient, cultural, diverse indigenous traditions and values in our community. Thank you very much. Again, the clapping. But um, Mayor Fingal, I thank you, um, everyone. And, and it's, as you said, um, back in 2015, it, 
um, seemed maybe to be a bigger deal at the time. Um, and But we don't want to um, lose the fact that's still a big deal today. And we certainly appreciate and are happy to recognize the second Monday as Indigenous Peoples Day. So thank you all for being here. And um, we'll move on with our agenda. I appreciate it. We're now going to move to the consent agenda. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion. There'll be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. First, are there any city commissioners who would like to pull an item off of the consent agenda? Seeing none, is there any person present at City Hall that would like to pull a matter off the consent agenda? No, Mayor. Mayor Finkelai, thank you, Sherry. And is there any person on Zoom who would like to pull a matter off the consent agenda? If so, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. There are no items to pull. Mayor Finkelai, thank you, Sherry. I look for a motion to approve the consent agenda. This is Commissioner Ananda. I would move to approve the consent agenda. Commissioner Bully, second. Mayor Finkelai, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Bully. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Vice Mayor Shipley? Uh, Commissioner Lawson? <laughs> Aye. Aye. Did you call my name? Yeah. <laughs> I had a blip in my internet, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's an I. okay. Mayor Finkel, I, I. It passes difficult, but five to zero. We'll call it good. Um, now that brings us um, to the public comment. <laughs> You're good now, Vice Mayor Shipley. So, okay, public comment. The public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. And we also do have some written communications, um, both originally and some added um, today um, that are on part of our packet. But if any member of the public is present at City Hall and would like to make general public comment on something not on the agenda, please let Sherry know and she'll call upon you. Go right ahead. Well, I'm Paul Bonmeyer, and I noticed in the Journal World today that there was an excellent article about memorializing the individuals who had a tragic event occur in 1880 on the, on the Kansas Bridge. I also listened tonight to comments made about the indigenous people and protecting the tragedy that occurred at KU when their, their uh, display was stolen. I think it is also it's important then that the Lawrence City Commission consider the people at stall and protecting their rights because vandalism does occur in this cemetery. And right now, uh, this stall haunted house is being promoted uh, on the Explorer Lawrence website. And I think that 
the consideration for those people should be as great as for the others. And I, when I was here, I mentioned the fact two weeks ago that I did not have the picture of taken uh, in 1922 of the individuals at the Stahl uh, Church. And I asked you then if you thought they were devil worshipers. And I'm going to leave these here and you can come and pick those up at any time during the year. And thank you for your time. Is there anyone else that had general public comment? Okay. Uh, that's it here in the room. Um, and no one online has indicated yet they have general public comment. Oh, there we go. Chad? Mayor Finkelguy, yes, if, if folks want to make general public comment on items down on the agenda, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature or, um, or turn your video on and Sherry will call upon you. Chad Osdale. Can you hear me? Yes. I was here again. Uh, needless to say, my name's Chad Osdale. I'm an ex-city employee. I never have had my uh, answer as to what a two method is that I was scored as in my department. If you can't find it in writing anywhere, which won't be a surprise, you can ask Dave Wagner the department head, he's the one who decided that uh, our department was going to be scored using the two method, even though there's no explanation in the evaluation process what a two method is. Uh, it's my belief that uh, all employees have a right to know what their performance evaluation is used for, how it's evaluated and scored. And the way things are set up right now, you, you are still giving your new employees the same evaluation process that says they can score anywhere from zero to four, but then turn around and tell them after their evaluation, our department is scored differently. We use the two method in this department. Nothing in writing from the city about what a two method is. Somebody please, I'm asking, it seems, uh, funny not to be able to believe what the city puts in writing and tells you is the truth when you know it's not. I was also curious as to why nobody's in the room. Aren't we vaccinated? We're safe. Why can't we come to work? I mean, if the evaluations are written one way, they should be performed one way, the way they're written, not otherwise, and then have the commissioners tell me, well, we're satisfied because they say they're not doing that and that all departments are the same. But two years ago, they changed the evaluation uh, paperwork to state that it's uh, performed citywide or department-wide. So it's an admission that they're all scored differently but nobody explains how each department is scored. You're just left to believe your department head's opinion of you. He lets you know by presetting the score what his opinion of you is. And in my department, Mr. Wagner decided we were just effective and that's all we could ever be is a two. And that is not 
correct, fair, or what the paperwork the city provides us says it is. So the city's still lying to their new employees about how they're evaluated and will not answer time. the question on time. Have a good day. Needless to say, I'll be back again to ask the same question if somebody would please answer. Thank you. Chris Flowers. Hi, um, this, this is Chris Flowers and I'm just here um, next month, I guess, you're gonna, we're gonna have a new commission and I'm just coming at, here ahead of time to ask that when you choose a mayor and vice mayor, that you actually choose who you think is would be the best fit for mayor instead of just following tradition. Um, when I ran for a city commission this past summer, that was one of the pledges I made was that I was going to buck tradition. And here's the thing, if you created a task force to look at this issue, so I, I don't care if you go ahead and follow tradition, but this next November, I think we at least deserve a discussion about whether the tradition of choosing the mayor each year based on the election results. I think we need to talk about if that's the best way moving forward, because even if we go ahead and do the districting and stuff, let's say that gets voted down, then we still have this problem because what when Mayor Ananda brought it up, I think she brought she mentioned how you don't have the stability because it's changing every year. So you guys should talk about that problem. Like, do we need stability? I think Personally, I would elect either um, the the Fink who we currently have. I, I think he's doing a good job, or I'd probably go with Lisa Larson. I'd give her another shot because she has experience and she did a good job. So I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, if we if we're creating a task force and looking at redoing our whole government, I think you guys should at least discuss how you guys elect who's the mayor and who's vice mayor, because it's not in, I mean, you guys have the freedom to do it. That's, it's just a tradition that some commissioners started doing years, like decades ago. And I think it needs to be looked at. So, and I'll be back probably the next few weeks up until then talking about this. So thank you. Is there anyone else on Zoom who has general public comments? That's all the comments, Mayor. Mayor Pingley, thank you, Sherry. That takes us to the regular agenda items. And regular agenda item one is to provide direction to staff concerning a proposed amendment to the adopted 2022 to 2026 CIP to include um, artificial turf on the soccer fields. And Derek, are you gonna stop this one? Good evening, Mayor. Derek Rogers, Director for Parks and Recreation. Now we'll uh, start this um, agenda item off tonight. Uh, Parks and Recreation was proposed by Sporting Call Valley with the proposal to convert two of our uh, grass soccer fields at YSC from natural grass to artificial turf. And over the past several months, we've been working together on how this proposal could be completed sooner than our 2026 CIP 
approved project uh, that would start uh, then, and could we add an additional project for 2022 um, through doing this and do a different phased approach to get to the same thing? Parks and Recreation is seeking City Commission direction whether to amend the adopted 2022 to 2026 capital improvement plan to install artificial turf on two YSC soccer fields, an anticipated cost of $1.5 million as a 2022 project. At tonight's meeting, Parks and Recreation, I believe Mammoth uh, Construction may be online. And Marcus Dudley, the Executive Director of Sporting Call Valley is on the Zoom. And at this point, I would like to pass the presentation over to Marcus Dudley to present the Sporting Call Valley proposal. Marcus. I think I'm unmuted there. Great, thanks Derek, I appreciate that. Um, I did prepare a couple slides uh, in talking to Derek to kind of um, help articulate our a little bit more about our organization as well as our proposal. I don't know what the process is for sharing that. Do I just hit share on the screen and, and begin or is there a more formal process that I need to add to that? <clears throat> you can go ahead and share your screen. Great. All right. Um, can everybody see that okay? If I can. There we go. First of all, I want to introduce myself again. My name is Marcus Dudley, and I'm the Executive Director for Sporting Call Valley Soccer Association. Uh, I've had the pleasure of serving in this role now for a little over 11 years, uh, which is hard to believe that it's been that long already. Um, and I want to thank the Commission uh, and the Parks and Rec Department for allowing us the opportunity to talk about what we think is a, a really exciting uh, opportunity for both uh, the City of Lawrence uh, and obviously our membership. I'm not sure how much um, individuals know about our organization. I'm trying to change screens here. Hmm. There we go. But Sporting Call Valley is a nonprofit organization, uh, 501c3, that was um, um, founded in Lawrence, Kansas in 1982. Our core mission is to enrich lives and connect communities to the sport of soccer. And we're an official developmental academy of Sporting Kansas City, entering our 10th year of that arrangement and agreement with Sporting Kansas City. Some things that people may not know much about our organization is that we were the first organization in the city to provide soccer programming, and we're coming up on our 40th year of operations, which I think is pretty amazing. We have 2,200 active members, uh, of which 1,500 uh, of those families are from Lawrence, Kansas. We currently operate in three markets, Lawrence, Topeka, and Manhattan, and we service 40 different communities from around those, those three major markets. We also have uh, 130 part-time, uh, full-time, and contracted employees, and we depend greatly upon uh, over 100 volunteers each season to help us uh, provide um, and implement our programming. <clears throat> uh, we provide a wide range of soccer-related services, both indoor and outdoor leagues. We have advanced coaching and training. We run about 30 to 35 camps and clinics each year. Uh, we run tournaments, one in Lawrence and one in Kansas City. And currently, uh, we run two pre-professional soccer teams, one for the women and one for the men. <clears throat> The other item that I wanted to mention is that we've had a long-standing history of being at a Clinton Youth Sports Complex uh, that's now pushing 35 years. 
Um, we were one of the initial founders. I'm not sure if that's if that's well known, but we before the city was involved, we were part of what was called YSI and was a partnership between uh, Lawrence Youth Football, the Kaba uh, Baseball, and back then we were called Kaba Soccer Association. Um, and our lease was with the uh, Corps of Engineers directly and not through the city. <clears throat> During that first 15 years of, of, uh, of um, I guess, um, operations, uh, we had invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into the complex, both building fields, irrigation, maintaining the grounds, building parking lots. <clears throat> and then in 2000, when Takaba Baseball kind of folded and was taken over by the city, the Corps of Engineers decided to lease that, you know, to make the lease with um, the city of Lawrence. And then we formed a relationship that has been um, repeated several times with, uh, with, uh, with Lawrence Parks and Rec to continue to maintain those fields. Uh, during the last 20 years, our estimates are that we've spent somewhere uh, between 1.1 and 1.1 million, 1.1 and 1.3 million dollars to help maintain those 15 soccer fields. So I tell you that because you know we do a lot with soccer. We're very involved out of Clinton Youth Soccer or Clinton Youth Soccer, uh, Clinton Youth Sports Complex. We've been there a long time. We care about that facility. Um, it's uh, it's our home and it's been our home for a long time. Um, we've been in discussions about getting turf fields out there for many years. I don't think I need to go through this slide and tell you all the benefits of turf. I'm sure you've read enough of that uh, after looking through, you know, the 85 plus letters that came in today. Uh, but obviously the need for us uh, for turf is great. Uh, and we think is very well needed and wanted by our membership and other members of the community. <clears throat> and we've known this for a couple of years. So a couple of years ago, when we started hearing a lot about the need and want for turf from our membership, we really looked at this from three perspectives and what were our options. One of our options was to partner directly with the city of Lawrence. Um, the other option was to see if we could lease the land from the core directly. Uh, and the third option was to leave the complex altogether uh, and, to, uh, and to maybe build it in another location, which there's been some conversations about that and people even contacted me today after learning about this meeting. Um, in our opinion, the most cost effective has always been to partner with Lawrence Parks and Rec and the city of Lawrence. Um, we feel like you know, we've spent a lot of time and money already at that complex. We felt that it would create a new asset for the city and for the community as a whole, and that uh, it would create the opportunity for both Parks and Rec and um, Sporting Cavalier to create new opportunities and programming, um, you know, for each other. Uh, the other two options, quite frankly, create, I, I feel, not, not as an ideal situation um, <clears throat> where you know, it creates a problem of not having a primary tenant out at the complex. Uh, it would almost create a level of competitiveness because now both organizations are going to want to try to fill what space they have available. So now you're competing with each other to fill the space that you've now have or and or in, have invested in. And I don't think that it really sets up the community atmosphere that, that we're really looking to provide. <clears throat> um, so the other thing that I kind of wanted to share is in reading through some of the memos uh, today uh, and yesterday, I, I get the sense that maybe there's this impression that this has been a, a pretty recent development. Um, and so I kind of want to take a little time to talk about how long we've really been at this. Um, our conversations with Parks and Rec started back in October of 2019 when we talked to them about what would be possible for building two turf fields. We spent about six months going back and forth. 
Uh, and we realized that COVID was kind of just getting started that time period. But the message that we got at that time was that this is not something that would be financially possible in terms of partnering with the city. So at that time, we asked for permission to evaluate whether or not we could build the fields out at pads 14 and 15. So we obtained permission from Lawrence Parks and Rec. We then followed that up by going to the Corps of Engineering uh, and asking them for permission to gain soil samples and geological surveys, which we did and paid around $10,000 for. And then we took that information and went to a couple of different organizations and businesses to get bids to find out how much it would cost to build those pads ourselves. Um, during that time period, we uh, formed a relationship with Mammoth Sports uh, Construction. We signed a, an LOI with that organization and brought that information back to um, Parks and Rec, uh, I believe in um, somewhere around the first of the year of, of 2021. Um, so we got a really good price from, from uh, Mammoth Sports Construction. Um, but we also talked to them about if we could bundle this up with some other projects at the city, what would that look like? You know, if we built more baseball fields, if we added football fields, if we did some things out of the complex, could we bundle this up and drive the price down? So we went through about six months of a variety of different uh, evaluations with parks and recreation. We, um, Mammoth Sports Construction came back with even a lower uh, project bid for our portion of it. Uh, and then we were kind of told that that wasn't going to happen in terms of uh, Parks and Rec's um, perspective, but we were still left there with this, with this project of two fields and Mammoth agreed to, um, to continue to uh, allow that project to stand if we could get it done you know, in the next several months. Um, so the reason I, I, I tell you that is because, um, again, this is something that we've been working on for a very long time. We've been talking about a target date of moving dirt in November of 2021 for almost 18 months now. Um, and so when we heard that the city uh, and Parks and Rec wasn't going to be able to maybe partner with us, uh, we went back to the board or I went back to the board and talked to them about, is it possible that we could fund this project completely? So we knew that the project was 1.4, I think, 38 million. We put together a proposal for $1.6 million to completely fund the project with interest um, that would allow us to not only stay there and have our primary needs met, but also create the opportunity where there would be additional uh, programming and rental space available for Lawrence Parks and Rec. So now they could generate revenue off of the complex as well as open up other grass space in the area for other user groups around the community. Uh, this started back in August. Uh, I think it was pretty well received. Uh, we were then told that we needed to go to the Lawrence Parks and Rec Advisory Board, which we did. Uh, that was met, I think, with pretty glowing reviews, if you've already read, a unanimous 8-0 vote to move forward, and comments like, this is a no-brainer, what do you need from us, uh, how can we get this started? So that was in early September. We were hoping to be on the agenda in late September, in late September with the Corps of Engineers. That was pushed to tonight. Um, and our understanding leading into this meeting was that there was going to be a vote on a variety of these items to move forward, which is why we've provided documents. Um, contracts have been supplied by uh, Mammoth the Sports Construction. We had a legal document kind of formalizing our commitment to, to 1.6 million over 10 years. Um, and uh, 
And so, you know, kind of here we are. I don't want to go through too many of these other slides. I think we've talked about kind of, I think everyone knows what the proposal is, but if not, I can go into some of those basic details. Um, here's the total project. I know you've seen this through multiple of Mammoth's uh, presentations that they've presented. As you can see here, 1.436 million. Uh, with interest, we were told it'd be about 1.57 million. We've offered 1.6 million over 10 years. <clears throat> Uh, the nuts and bolts, I guess, of our um, proposal would be <clears throat> that we've committed to put $1.6 million towards this, uh, towards this project, that the city would then own the asset, but we would continue to be the priority user group, uh, which we already are out the complex for the soccer fields because of our long time investment in those um, fields. Uh, we would retain the sponsorship rights. Um, we would have a guaranteed 2,200 hours on the turf and access to four grass fields instead of the other 11 grass fields that have been out there. Um, Lawrence Parks and Rec would have the ability to rent and program all other available space. And then we would continue to provide and maintain all the soccer equipment, uh, but Lawrence Parks and Rec would have the ability to use that or to rent that out and to uh, would continue to maintain the facility. <clears throat> so we look at this as being extremely you know, beneficial to both organizations. Um, we think that it would provide the community with uh, access to the type of quality athletic fields that they deserve. Uh, we feel like it would create a new asset for the city that they could use to not only increase their own revenue streams, but also create new opportunities for other user groups in the community. Uh, we felt like having turf fields uh, in our community would help our own members and members of our community from having to travel to Topeka and to Kansas City to routinely train on turf because they do not have access uh, here in Lawrence. Um, Fourth, we thought that, uh, that by acting now, we would not only save taxpayers $1.6 million, but we would also save them the additional cost of the ever-growing cost to build these facilities, which is constantly growing um, each and every month, quite frankly, and it's not getting any cheaper now that COVID's over. Uh, fifth, consolidating space out of Clinton Lake would uh, improve the current parking situation, which I think we all know has been Kind of a fiasco over the last several years and it would also open up more grass fields for renting uh, to other user groups in the community who have not had access to those grass those grass fields um, in the past and finally it would improve uh, the facilities that would help us attract more people to our community i can tell you in the last several years we've lost teams that have participated in our league and our tournaments because we don't have turf and they can go to kansas city and get it um, and if we had it i think it's something that would help us reattract those people back to our community, uh, not only on a weekly basis, but on every weekend and when we have these tournaments. And so we think that this would also help us uh, regain some of the economic benefit that we've had in the past. <clears throat> the last thing that I wanna say is that, I, I kind of mentioned this before, is we came into this uh, meeting tonight with the understanding, uh, and I know that I've shared an email with some of you, uh, that we were gonna be voting on this tonight. Um, so I know internally, and I know I speak for members of the board who are also on this call, that we're a little frustrated tonight because we thought a lot more of this was gonna be maybe packaged up and maybe that's still, still possible. Um, but in reading through some of the memo, um, and when we notice that it says that we're going to talk about some of the same issues that we've been talking for months about, it's very, very frustrating. We know that the Corps of Engineers knows about this project. They've known about it for 15 months since I went there and asked them for permission to do the soil samples and the geological survey and told them about it. Um, I know that they have communicated with the city and told them that 
there should not be any um, issue uh, and gave them assurances that their agreement would continue uh, with, the, with the city of Lawrence and with Parks and Rec, even though that final agreement and lease has not been finalized. Um, the reason Mammoth Sports Construction has all of their contracts in place for you to review is because they were asked to have those ready for you. If we weren't gonna talk about them and not have the commission review them, why, would they, why were they asked to be presented uh, with this packet? It's the same thing for us. We were asked to provide a formal you know, kind of commitment about what our expectations were and what our financial commitment were. We had our attorney write this up on a very shortened time frame because I was told we needed that within a couple of days to get it on the agenda. Well, that's an expense to us. And if it wasn't going to be considered today or voted on today, that would have been good to know so that we could have better prioritize and use our money uh, in a more effective way. The last part that I wanna mention is this is time sensitive. You know, um, in talking with Mammoth, uh, I know that the reason that we're getting the price that we're getting is not only because they took us a good faith that we may be expanding the size of this project, um, but was that um, they knew that if they completed this project between November and March, that it was in their downtime and their local and they could get it done for, you know, a 10% less than they normally could. Um, Every month that we continue to wait and we push this back creates different problems. Either it interrupts our programming or it creates more costs. Um, and, you know, from our perspective, we feel like the commission has everything that they need in this packet. <clears throat> um, we've been super uh, excited about the possibility of basically, you know, uh, committing $1.6 million over 10 years and creating and donating an asset to the city that we feel meets our needs and the needs of other people in the community. Um, but what we'd really like, you know, tonight, I think is some discussion and potentially even a vote on whether or not we can start this project next month as we've been under the impression uh, would happen for several, several months. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, can you please stop Chair Derek Rogers, Director of Parks Recreation? Is that off? Yes, thank you, Marcus. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, Derek Rogers, Director of Park and, Parks and Recreation. I'd just like to say, you know, we continue to work on the project and as a, uh, at the request and as a partner with Sporting Call Valley, as we're seeking commission's direction regarding the necessary next steps to make this happen. Uh, each of the decision points and items, action items outlined in the memo are necessary by policy, regulation, law and order to accommodate this project. Um, a future consideration for the city commission to consider if we amend the C current CIP to allow this project uh, is that the 2026 CIP item at $3.2 million for turf could be reduced by $1.5 million as a future consideration. This proposal would be debt funded through the use, through user fees of the artificial turf and financed through general obligation bonds. If the commission is interested in advanced, advancing the proposal, here are the critical dependencies. The Corps of Engineers approval and start the project. Parks and Rec is reasonably assured that the Corps of Engineers will approve the project. Again, that's verbal and discussions with uh, Corps of Engineers at Clinton Lake. Approval of the city uh, Corps of Engineer lease agreement for a 10-year lease. 
Currently, the 20-year lease agreement is in progress with the Corps of Engineers. It's been in progress for a long time. Um, like most things, working with the Corps of Engineers is not a fast process. Uh, in some ways, similar to uh, other government agencies to include the city. Our current lease agreement with Corps of Engineers expires December 31st, 2021. Um, we have an email agreement, uh, agreement saying that our current lease conditions will be extended if we don't have a lease by the end of the year, which um, we did ask for a formal letter from the Corps of Engineers and we're informed if they did a formal letter that the contract would be extended, that would take their time away from working on the current lease. Um, we have an alternative purchase method or present a design build contract for the construction. We've been working with Mammoth. They have a Greenbush contract. And lastly, a negotiated user agreement with Sporting Call Valley present to the city commission for authorization. Those will be the steps um, that need to go forward. This time I'll turn over for other comment or say commission comments, questions. Mayor Fingal died. Commissioners have questions of Derek Marcus. This is Commissioner Washington. I do have a um, couple questions. Derek, you had something said that it would be debt funded and paid with user fees. So are the, do those user fees go to Call Valley or to the city and they pay the debt fund or how does that work? The way it is presented, the city of Lawrence would contract with, if we use the uh, Greenbush contract um, with Mammoth and that would be our funds, the revenues generated user fees from the artificial turf would go to fund the debt. So the substantial portion of the Sporting Call Valley user fees, which would be the priority user of the field for 2,200 hours, would go to cover the debt. 2200, okay. So Commissioner Larson, again, so the 2,200 hours, um, they would get priority for those 2,200 hours. Is there a block of those 2,200 hours? How does that work? Because I calculated out, it's about 11 hours a day, each day of the year. Um, so what part of that 11 hours are they guaranteed versus um, us at 1,700 hours? Derek? Rogers, uh, Director of Parks and Recreation. I can let Marcus explain that a little better. I don't have a slide up that breaks down the hours between spring, summer, and uh, fall. It is in the presentation of the slides on what hours and the time frames. Uh, Marcus, do you want to speak to that real quick? Sure, a couple things. Uh, one is, you know, we haven't really priced it out per hour. We looked at it as if we're going to be funding the entire project over 10 years, more than funding the project. Um, we blocked out 2,200 hours of time that would be the time that we would that we would need to run our programming. Um, and then away from that, and it, it, I think if you look on page three of my formal letter that was sent, I think it was started on page 65 of the agenda packet. On page three of that, it outlines what hours would be for Sporting Cobb Alley and what hours would be for Lawrence Parks and Rec. Generally speaking, I believe both parties have already agreed to those to those hours. Um, I think my point would be, you know, 1,700 hours or 1,500 hours at whatever the city charges would uh, would really be surplus for them that they could apply towards something else. The six, the 160,000 or 160,000 dollars a 
a year would cover the entire debt payment of the turf field. It'd more than cover it, which was our intent by making that amount and that proposal. Commissioner Arson, thank you very much, uh, Marcus. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Arson, can I have one more question? As far as the ongoing maintenance, is the 1.5 million included, includes all the maintenance every year for those 10 years? Roger, Director of Parks and Recreation. We would still be responsible for the maintenance on artificial turf. It is cheaper, the exact cost compared to natural grass, but uh, Parks and Recreation would cover the maintenance of the facility. Um, Market add. I think it's estimated looking at other cities that do this around fifteen thousand a year. Uh, Commissioner Larson, thank you. That's all I have for right now. Mr. Commissioner Bowling, um, Derek, um, we wouldn't be able to issue bonds to pay for this without getting the lease extension from the court, right? Eric Rogers, Director for Parks and Recreation. I'll defer that question to legal. I would, or finance, uh, for a further explanation on the legalities of having an open contract, a lease agreement. City Attorney Tony Wheeler, we can, um, I'd have to verify that with our bond council. I don't have the answer to that question tonight unless um, Jeremy Wilmoth is on the line and knows the answer. Jeremy Wilmoth, Finance Director, um, I'm in the same position. I don't believe that we have the ability to uh, use long-term financing for longer than the lease that we have uh, over control of the asset um, but, but we'll look into that. Commissioner Arson, I have another question, Mayor. That's okay. On the, I'm going to go back to the maintenance just a little bit on 15,000 a year. Will there be a stipulation written in the contract as to what constitute, constitutes adequate maintenance by the parties if they agree as to what maintenance means? Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation, that can be stipulated in the contract. The, the basic maintenance, they have a machine, and I want to say it's about $5,000 to maintain the turf correctly to get it out to a lifespan of about 10 years. It's probably going to take a lot more maintenance than just the minimum. I'm assuming or talking to Mark, it's probably going to be about monthly to redistribute the black granular pieces of rubber and artificial turf just to um, maximize the life span of that asset. Go ahead, Marcus. Yeah, I would say, I think uh, I think Nick Olson from Mammoth may be on the line. I think, you know, our estimates have been more like seven or 8,000, maybe 9,000 for both fields each year. Um, I think the equipment comes with the contract. Um, so I don't know if Nick is able to speak to the maintenance, average maintenance fees, but that may be a better source of information. All right. Hi, Nick Olson here, uh, CFO for Mammoth Sports Construction, uh, as well as a Lawrence resident. Um, yeah, so the, the numbers to, to maintain a, a soccer field adequately obviously vary a little bit depending on hourly rates of employees and things like that. But generally, uh, for the project that we're putting in for the two turf fields, 
and that somewhere in that seven to ten thousand dollars a year range is is fair for maintenance. Um, it is you know generally less uh, than maintaining a natural grass field. Um, the the project price of just over one point four million does include about eight thousand dollars worth of uh, maintenance equipment. Uh, they're both there's two pieces of equipment that's uh, provided there in that contract as well as we do train. Um, you know, whatever Parks and Rec staff or Sporting Club Valley staff or whoever will be maintaining the facility, uh, that training is all provided by Mammoth to to properly maintain the fields. Uh, and Mammoth can also be further contracted to do any sort of bigger annual maintenance items uh, as well to help maybe possibly drive down that cost a little bit. Commissioner Larson, thank you very much for that explanation. Mayor Finkel, I have questions before we open it to public comment? Vice Mayor Shipley, I, if you guys can hear me, um, I wanted to uh, just be sure I understood uh, what Derek said, that this is only anticipated to last 10 years, even if we do the highest possible kind of maintenance on it. <clears throat> Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation, um, you might get some turf that could go out 12 years, the uh, replacement of turf estimated the cost um, at current dollars anywhere from 600000 to a million dollars 10 years from now. I think that would have to be uh, something we'd put in a future CIP to replace the turf. Um, future CIP. That's also something that SKV has, um, I'm sorry, Marcus Sudley supporting uh, Cal Valley. That's something that we've also talked about putting into our initial agreement is that we would be willing to, you know, that would be half of what we're paying now um, in terms of commitment to the project. So uh, obviously a lot of the fun, a lot of the, um, the expense goes into the first build uh, and it's a lot cheaper during the second build because you're just resurfacing it. Um, but having already had a, a very, a 20 year relationship with, um, um, with Lawrence Parks and Rec in the city of Lawrence, I think that's something that we would be pretty willing to commit to in terms of helping finance the resurfacing of those two fields. Vice Mayor Shipley, this might be for a question for Tony. And um, I can't, I'm not off the top of my head or all day, did I come up with anyone uh, or any instance where the city had turned over the um, authority of an asset to an outside vendor or um, group. And it seemed like there was some um, very general rule about that as regards cities and their authority. Can you help me make sure that I'm understanding or not understanding that? <laughs> City Attorney Tony Wheeler. Well, we do have relationships with other entities and city facilities. For instance, at Rock Chalk Park, I believe there's a long-term lease with LMH for um, some health facilities and um, Derek can probably speak to that. Um, although we do obviously have um, lease provisions uh, that help us maintain some control. Um, so we, we have had some relationships like that. I know that um, we have rented um, pools, lanes in our pools for um, 
aquatic programs as well or for aquatic teams. Um, but generally, uh, the city does try to um, retain maximum control over our facilities because, um, you know, there's a public interest in, in having access to our facilities as well. Mayo, think a lot, but I mean, we have a lease right now supporting Car Valley that gives them certain rights to the fields in exchange for, for payments as they exist, correct? So this wouldn't be any different than that lease. Might be more money involved and more time involved, but it's, I assume it's a, a similar type lease arrangement. City Attorney Tony Wheeler, yes, I um, understand that we do have a lease with uh, this group. <clears throat> Mayor Finkel, uh, obviously I know there's some discussion about getting it done tonight versus getting it, um, you know, having some contracts for approval. Derek, assuming at some point we give a go ahead tonight, are, are you expecting this to come back like on the consent agenda, like we approve certain contracts or what, what do you see the next steps as being? I know you laid out the steps. What, what, how do you see them procedurally coming back to us? Roger, director of Parks and Recreation. I, I think the Corps of Engineers is going to be a critical component of that, and um, we could speculate on what we might have a lease agreement, and that would still be an unknown. The um, agreed agreement um, of terms, I think that would come back on a consent agreement agenda because that would be something that uh, would have to be approved by a city commission that we have 10 year lease agreement for $1.6 million. Um, with tonight's proposal um, in the package is the uh, proposal by Sporting Cobb Valley and uh, their recommendations on, on what should be in the agreement. So we didn't need to go back and continue the talk with the Sporting Cobb Valley on uh, what should be in the agreement going forward. Mayor Finkelab, I guess obviously we have the a lot of that laid out here. I mean, as you sit here today, do you expect the final agreements, assuming we give the go ahead to be basically consistent with that? Um, or are you expecting changes? Derek Rogers, uh, Director of Parks and Recreation. As, as the process continues, again, we had an agenda item and we thought we could get it to a commission for a vote, but at, we continue to run into stipulations and reviews that we want to get the process right. And at each level review, we need to make sure that we're doing things correctly and following the correct process and complying with policy and uh, regulations. So that is always a challenge. And so as we put together an agreement, the agreement needs to be reviewed by city staff to include finance, uh, legal, our department, and the city manager's office. Uh, so at, at each stage of a review of an agreement, we always, with any agreement, we seem to have um, issues that come back to us for uh, discussion points with other organizations. Mr. Commissioner Bullock, um, I was just going to ask how the bond um, issuance would fold into that time frame because we didn't talk about issuing the bonds. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. I'll let Jeremy answer that one. Jeremy Wilma, Finance Director. Um, the critical element, Commissioner Boley, is a resolution uh, authorizing uh, the use of bonds for this project. 
the actual um, issuance of the cash wouldn't be nearly as uh, concerning. We would most likely fold that into our uh, normal March temporary note issuance. Mr. Commissioner Bulligan, and it wouldn't be possible to do that resolution without the um, agreement with CORE is my understanding. That's what we'll need to look into. Um, it may be possible to do the resolution. Um, what we're what we're concerned about is the actual issuance of debt. But if that doesn't take place until March, that gives us time to shore up the lease with the core. Mayor Finkel, I other questions before we open it to public comment. Commissioner Arson, I have I have um, one more, and, and that is, did I read something in there about sponsorship sponsorship rights? that Cobb Valley would retain those, or is how, how does that work? Derek Rogers, director for Parks and Recreation, as part of their um, $160,000 per year lease for 2,200 hours at $65 an hour, they would have sponsorship rights um, within the fence line of the uh, artificial turf at YSC. <laughs> So, Commissioner Larson, again, so they would have the right to sell sponsorships um, along that field, that line. Um, would we have any ability to prove what is being, what the sponsor messages are, or who's doing, who's sponsoring it? We have. Director Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation, we would have, we did discuss the review of uh, who the sponsors are to make sure that they're in line with um, our values as a city. Commissioner Orson, thank you very much. Mayor Finkeldey, seeing no other questions, we'll go ahead and open up to public comment before we bring it back to the commission. I'll start with any person in the commission room who would like to make comment on this item. You'll have three minutes. You can come to the podium and Sherry can direct that if necessary. There's no one in the commission room that would like to comment on this item. Mayor Finkeldey. That makes it easier. Um, if you are present online and would like to speak publicly on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. You'll have three minutes each. Chris Flowers. Hi, this is Chris Flowers, and I was just thinking about Rock Chalk Park, and weren't we told that um, it'd pay for itself, kind of, and that the courts would always, there'd always be a court open, and then I remember a meeting where we were, had the, where they was discussing about whether or not to do something where the court would not always be in session like open because they needed more money and part of the reason i think was that some other place opened up something similar to rock chart and so that there is more competition so i'm just wondering if is there any um planning or do we know of any possibility of something similar opening up where something that might offer competition to us and that they might not gener generate user fees over the next 10 years that would pay for all this. Because here's my issue is that you look at it and one of the things is um, we need our kids, our kids are at a disadvantage when playing against, I guess, Kansas City kids or something. But 
at the end of the day, like 1.5 million so our kids don't lose while playing a game. I mean, we've got people, we don't have enough funding for the homeless. So we, to be spending 1.5 million so our kids don't lose a game seems kind of a waste of money. But if we're not, like if user fees pays for all this, I'm okay with this. But I just I just remember Rock Chalk that we were told that it's gonna pay for itself. And then other places started opening up similar stuff and they got competition and then user fees, like we weren't actually getting the money we thought we would. So if that's a possibility for this, then I'm against it. But I mean, if it were works as it's as they say it's going to i'm for it so just throwing that out there thank you mark Veloz. yeah i joined the meeting kind of late so i may not have all the information but i remember vice mayor shipley said the city doesn't want to turn over a public asset to an outside slash private group uh what was what were they alluding to when she said that um was it about the sporting call valley that was my only question. It was more of a question than a comment. Katie, uh, Kate White. Hi, my name is Kate White. I'm on the board for Sporting Caw Valley. Um, I don't have anything formal written, but uh, I think it's a win-win, our proposal. We're not, they're still going to be the asset of all the, the soccer fields uh, for, for the city to use. And we can still rent those down the road as well if we need to for, for certain events. So I think it's not, it's an added asset and I don't think there's any loss to this. And I understand that there's a process and we, we are fully aware of that. We would just like to kind of get it so that we have the best savings for everyone involved. And the the money is coming from our our sporting Caw Valley, like families. I mean, both of my kids play soccer and it is hard uh, when we have to travel all the time to Kansas City, Topeka, and it would be nice to be able to stay home. It would be nice to have people from Kansas City and Topeka come to our facilities. We do have players that come to Lawrence to play currently. And so I think um, just you knowing that, that that there are families coming into Lawrence all the time to use these fields, and we appreciate everything that there is currently with the grass, but it would be wonderful to have turf. And not only for the, the players that are playing on the turf, but I was talking to some referees the other day that were really excited because they're like, man, my knees on this hard surface <laughs> It would be great to have turf just from that physical aspect. So I appreciate the time and I uh, hope you will vote to uh, approve this as we've been working really hard on it for a long time. Thank you so much. Jason Pryor. Uh, good evening. Oh, I lost myself on the screen. Sorry. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Um, thanks for your time tonight. Um, as I've listened to the comments um, from the Commissioners, um, a, co a question was raised in my mind, and and that is, and, and I've worked um, 
a lot with uh, other municipalities uh, as well as the city of Lawrence. And in all of my experience, I've never come across a project where a um, private user group has voluntarily um, elected to entirely fund a public improvement project um, and received what I perceive to be resistance to uh, uh, the provision of, of this community asset. Now, certainly uh, SKV stands to gain by that, but when we're entirely funding it and um, there is uh, very little risk to the city, um, I, I just don't see where these questions lie. And what, what I would ask is that the commissioners, you know, really um, engage in some leadership to provide uh, the types of community assets that, that, that are beneficial to our community that are being requested by your constituents um, in situations like this where uh, it's physically responsible and, um, and provides such a great asset to the city. Um, I've been involved with this project for a long time, dating back to discussions in December or January uh, of last year and this year with um, uh, the city manager, uh, subsequent discussions with the assistant city manager, and to hear tonight that there are still questions being raised about this project is is concerning, is concerning. This has been on the table for a long time. And the fact that these questions have not been answered is very, very concerning. Um, I, I, would, I would respectfully request that the commission really um, direct staff to, to get this thing done. It just makes sense. Um, We've been we've been waiting too long for this, and um, it's something that really needs to happen for our community. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. Gene Ranky. Thank you, Mayor Finkeldy and members of the Lawrence City Council. My name is Gene Ranky. I'm a vice president for the SKV Board of Directors. I'm speaking to you today to encourage your support for the joint proposal to direct staff to immediately approve beginning the turf building projects at Clinton Lake Youth Soccer Complex. I'm seeking for a rep for Sporting Call Valley. And as Marcus alluded, every year we ask our 1,500 Lawrence members and families to show how we can improve. The clearest answer year after year is turf fields. Now, to address this demand, Lauren, or sorry, Marcus has worked with Derek Rogers and others in the city to develop the, the framework for this proposed amendment to the capital improvement plan install the, the two soccer fields. Why is it a joint proposal? Well, it's first of all, this amendment is consistent with the Lawrence Park and Recreation Department's goals. The LT, sorry, the LPRD master plan indicated that, and I quote, LPRD is committed to developing its programs and services in innovative, cost-efficient, and effective ways to further enhance Lawrence's quality of life. So how is soccer related to quality of life for Lawrence citizens? Well, we've heard a lot of, you've got, what are 80 some odd letters from Lawrence residents and soccer players, but the master plan itself indicated that more than 4,000 residents of Lawrence were regular soccer players. 
Now, to achieve this success, how did the master plan lay out several goals? Well, goal two is to provide new or improved facilities and amenities, and specifically to articulate the need to develop an outdoor destination complex for tournaments in Lawrence, just as we're proposing to be made, and to include major enhancements to YSC, including additional soccer fields. Goal four also said it should improve the financial position of the LPRD, including pursuing new and ongoing opportunities and to pursuing partnerships. Does that sound familiar? We just heard from Marcus, that's exactly what we propose to do. So this joint proposal unambiguously advances those goals. So these fields will be of amendment to a broad range of stakeholders across the community, environment, city residents, and several specific concrete ways. We've heard about player safety, player development. Others have spoken about this. Serving local business will draw people to Lawrence instead of sucking them out of Lawrence to Kansas City or elsewhere where they have turf fields. And likewise, it develops the community in partnering with Sporting Cup Valley. SKV, as Mark says, has been a long-term resident, 35 years at Clinton Lake, trusted nonprofit that serves 1,500 Lawrence families annually. And finally, we've heard some concern about this, the fiscal responsibility. I just note that the city of Eudora recently approved paying. The city is going to pay 250 grand for new grass fields for a soccer club there. SKV is paying for these turf fields by a lease agreement. The city of Lawrence owns the asset at minimal risk. I point out this is how Shields, Wyandotte, and other local soccer complexes run. The city of Lawrence would own the asset at minimal risk. Okay, so this joint proposal advances the goals while minimizing city expenditures. But as noted by Marcus in his written comments and his, his uh, presentation, we need to act now. As, as uh, Jason alluded, this has been gone on for too long. So from my perspective, as a parent of an SKB player, as a, as a star <clears throat> Lawrence Adult Soccer League player, as vice president of the board of directors, support the motion. Thank you. Josh Woods. Good evening, all. Thank you for the opportunity. And I just wanted to use my three minutes to address the questions that the first two individuals proposed. Um, first of all, uh, to Chris, this, uh, this is not a uh, $1.6 million endeavor that comes from the city's budget to ensure that kids win soccer games. Um, this, is, this is fully funded by the Sporting Cobb Alley um, organization. And this is, a, as others have commented tonight, this is a no-brainer proposal. We've heard it from the Lawrence uh, Parks and Rec Advisory Board. Who supported it overwhelmingly? Lawrence Parks and Rec understands that this is this is something that is a must for the city of Lawrence. Um, to the second individual, Chris, um, for uh, Mark, who asked if this is an asset that's going to be turned over, that is a city asset. It's absolutely not. The city's going to maintain control, but Sporting Call Valley will have some some assurances in their contract to be able to program accordingly to uh, meet the needs of our club. And I apologize, I didn't announce that I'm part of Sporting Cow Valley Board of Directors, uh, but I'm also a parent. And uh, I think it's important to understand that I'm one of the parents that I've got, I've got two daughters who uh, are in high school and middle school, and they've, they've been a participant with Sporting Cow Valley for seven years now. I've been on this board for six years. And we have, as others have stated, been trying to get this turf project put in place for quite some time. To the point of, of boiling point and frustration, I, uh, I'm one of the case uh, examples of a parent who has taken their children to Kansas City to be able to perform on an acceptable playing surface that uh, the city of Lawrence has not provided to the youth um, soccer programs that we have here in the city. We have an un 
unbelievable, unbelievably large amount of youth playing soccer in this community. And we are the only community in, in probably the eastern third of the state of Kansas that does not have youth sports uh, turf uh, access for, for soccer. And so you can look at Topeka. We're losing kids to Topeka. You can look at Kansas City. Parents are taking their kids to Kansas City. And I think it's time that Lawrence step up to the plate, approve this uh, opportunity, and uh, let's get this project moving forward so that we can, so so that I could stop driving back and forth to Kansas City every night to take my kids to play on on turf surfaces. And that's all I have. Thank you, Adam Linhas. Hi, thanks. Um, my name is Adam Linhas. I am also on the board of SKV. Um, I wear many hats. I am a parent of children that play at SKV and also have children that we take to Kansas City to play. I am also in the adult soccer league, so I understand firsthand what the facilities are like to play at. Um, we have not been rushing this project. We have been talking about this project for a very, very long time on board. We have exhausted every option that we can think of, and this really does meet the needs for everybody for the city and for our club so i really really wish you guys would consider this and get this done it is going to be our down season over the winter is why we're wanting to do this and get us going um i see firsthand how our kids are honestly falling behind the kansas city clubs practice outdoor almost year round this isn't about us winning games or losing games it's about our children being able to compete at the same level as the kansas city and topeka kids by the time they're in high school looking for college scholarships, they're they're honestly they're at they're at a lower level because we can't compete with the amount of time that they get in Kansas City. So I really wish you guys will consider this an option and let's get this project going. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to provide comment on this item? That's all the comments, Mayor. Mayor Fingalai, thank you. I'll bring it back to the commission for questions, discussion. Thanks, Mayor Shipley. Um, can someone remind me, when we announce CIP items during the budget season, how long those CIP items stay out in the public for discussion before we vote on them? Isn't there a a couple months or an amount of time that it's obliged to be out in the public? This is uh, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, we do, um, I'm not sure, um, Vice Mayor Shipley, if you're referring to the um, call for CIP items that we do annually with our process, but we do that uh, kind of at the beginning of every year. Um, I'd have to go back and pull up the calendar to get the specific dates, uh, but my recollection is in June is when we present, um, or this year is when we presented the um, capital improvement plan, vehicle and equipment replacement plan, um, and maintenance plan to the commission, and then we've kind of provided updates at various points throughout the budget process um, as that moved through um, and was adopted. Um, in September. Um, so I can get you a more detailed calendar if that doesn't answer your question. Mayor Shipley, like, Vice Mayor Shipley, did that answer your question? 
Uh, Vice Mayor Shibley, it does. Thank you, Mayor. Commissioner Larson, um, so I, I did have just a couple more questions and I just wanna, first of all, thank Caw Valley and Mammoth Sports for bringing this to us. Um, it, it definitely uh, excites me to see, you know, want, you want to invest in Lawrence. I really do appreciate that. But also keep in mind that this is the first time we have had this, this project come before us. In fact, it was just two weeks ago that I saw it come up on the future agenda items. So, so I was very intrigued by it. And as I got into it and started reading about it, I thought this really sounds like a, a, a really asset for Lawrence. Um, and I know how popular soccer is and in the need to, to follow through with our master plan and, and um, our, our Parks and Rec's master plan. I was actually the commission liaison on that when that whole project was done for the master plan. So I'm well aware of, of what those, um, uh, what's outlined in that and what's discussed, discussed in that. But, you know, I do, when I look at these, I just wanna make sure that, that I fully understand what the liability of the city is. And I think it's the only responsible government to make sure we understand that before we move forward on any project. And I would assume that our taxpayers would want us to make sure that we're comfortable with that. So that's why I'm asking these questions is just to make sure I'm comfortable with um, what our liability level, level is and to ensure we're not going to be held responsible, you know, beyond what um, is reasonable, what we should be held responsible for. So one other question I do have, and I do, again, I just want to go back to make sure I understand financially where we're, what responsible we have for this. What happens if there's a default um, where Call Valley cannot make those payments? What happens? Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. In the uh, uh, letter to the city, I think it's September 21st, 22nd, uh, if Sporting Call Valley terminates the lease early or defaults, they would pay a uh, two-year penalty of $160,000 a year for a total of $320,000. Commissioner Larson, thank you. So what happens to the um, rest of the um, bond amount or the payment amount? Say they two years from now they default, so they pay three twenty. So what happens to the rest of the payment for that bond? Director, Director Parks and Recreation, um, Jeremy can step in if I misspeak. The city would be liable to continue the bond payment, but I will let Jeremy um, speak to that. Jeremy Wilmoth, Finance Director. That is correct. Um, the city is on the uh, hook for any debt that we issue, regardless of what the payment source is. Um, to be fair, there's still a, an asset there. So uh, we would still look for user fees to be the lion's share of uh, the funding mechanism. But anything that cannot be re uh, recovered by user fees would have to be covered by property taxes. Commissioner Larson, thank you. Um, so when um, I heard earlier, I thought it was $80 an hour they're going to charge um, for the field, but I heard also $65 an hour. So which which was, was it $65? Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Um, as a priority user, and we had looked at examples of uh, Overland Park Shell Field and how they had uh, did the arrangement, you have a normal city rate of $80 an hour that we would charge users that aren't a high-time user, and a high-time user of 2,200 hours uh, they would get a preferred rate of $65 an hour and they'd have priority use of the fields. 
So at $65 an hour and the 2,200 hours, that's about $143,000 a year. So that, that's close to covering the payment. That's what I, that's just back of the napkin type inflation. So um, is that correct? I'd have to get the calculator out. Mark Hecker, you've got the numbers probably in front of you. Yeah, Mark Hecker, System Director, Parks and Recreation. That would be correct. And then the, the additional to get up to the 160000 was the sponsorships and possible rental of other grass fields. And that, that would all be included in the user agreement that we'd need to get together and, and compare notes and make sure we're all talking the same language. Arson, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Mayor Finkelai, Marcus, would you like to add to the answer? Yeah. <clears throat> thank you so much, Marcus Dudley, supporting Cobb Valley. You know, I just wanted to articulate too that I understand that that Mark and um, Derek are putting numbers to this. That's not how we've looked at it. I mean, whatever number they charge is kind of the number that they charge. I can tell you that in Overland Park, because it's so subsidized through transient guest tax, they're paying $40 an hour. So the reason we went to $160 or $160,000 a year was to completely alleviate this. And we basically said, we will completely take care of all of the debt, plus interest, plus some other, so that it is no longer an issue. We weren't putting numbers to it because we didn't want this conversation to be an issue for us. So whatever the city wants to charge other people, so be it. Um, we just, you know, we already feel like because we're coming all in and we want this to get done, um, that's why we came up with that number. And because we've invested so much in that complex already, I mean, those 15 fields, if we're vacating them, that's basically handing over another asset for other people to use and rent that we will no longer be using. Um, and so we felt like $160,000 and 1.6 million was more than fair to cover not only the debt service, but the interest and plus. So that's where that number came from. So I see other people trying to add numbers to this. That's just not how we're looking at it. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Marcus. Um, Derek, is the the current CIP has 3.2 million in it um, of work, which included fields in 2026, that obviously we might get rent for, but we were planning to put through our normal CIP process, correct? Parks Recreation. And as part of the 2026 CIP, the $3.2 million would also cover uh, turf infields at YSC and um, artificial turf. Looking at even our master plan from 2017, uh, it talks about additional uh, grass fields and enhancing as a destination uh, location for YSC. That included COSC and the youth sports complex, everything in their ball. Um, and that dollar amount was, I believe, around $2.3 million. Uh, looking at turf, the reality is that $3.2 million 2026 is probably a low number um, for what the way dollars are looking right now. Mayor Fingala, thank you. Other questions, comments? Uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, um, that kind of brings me to one of my questions, which was about, um, you know, normally we would bid these things out and we have a specific bid process. So um, that's clearly not how this is designed. And maybe that would be fine, except that I did notice one of the things they were including was the parking lot, for example. Um, and 
while uh, Mammoth may be the expert in in turf and um, local, during our normal bid process, that wouldn't guarantee them the bid. So can someone help me reconcile that with our our usual behavior and our general policy? City Attorney Tony Wheeler. Um, Vice Mayor, you are correct. When um, the city undertakes public projects, we are required to um, go through a bidding process. We have adopted a charter ordinance number 45 that does allow us to do alternative uh, delivery methods of projects, but there has to be a specific finding by the city commission that to do so is in the best interests of the city and the community. So that is one of the, the um, steps that has to occur in the future. We have to um, go through that process to um, have the commission make that finding. Um, so uh, that is correct. I believe that I, I, I'm not sure, I'm not privy to the plans about whether the um, the contractor will also be doing the, the parking lot work, but um, you know, may, maybe those would be split out. I, I just haven't been involved in, in discussions at that level yet, but yes, generally we do have to bid out projects unless the city commission um, wants to take an alternative delivery method. And then we have to follow the process under charter 45 Charter Ordinance Number Forty Five to do that. Jeremy Wilmoth, Finance Director. If I could just add, um, we do believe that there's a State of Kansas cooperatively bid contract that would uh, apply to this project, and so uh, we intend to use that piggybacking provision from that contract if we move forward with this project. Anything like other questions? I guess I want to, I'll go ahead and install it. I guess I think that, um, you know, certainly I, if you start big picture, you know, question, do we need turf fields in the city? Um, you know, I, I do think it's an amenity that, that is, is important to Lawrence. I mean, I think, you know, I've worked with a lot of school districts who have moved to turf fields, both soccer and football, um, over the last several years. And um, they typically do that through a lease arrangement. And they lease these fields for 10 years. Of course, Lawrence has done that, but also Baldwin, Shawnee Heights, and others. And um, my experience of working with those school districts, although they have found you know, increased use, decreased costs of maintenance, um, and um, you know, better um, less injuries, I guess, is a better way to say that for their um, students. And so um, they've seen those as, as benefits. I certainly see the same benefits here, um, you know, for, for our students. And certainly as part of our CIP, if this was a question of having on our CIP the supporting of, of putting in um, turf fields, it, it's something, you know, when I looked at the CIP, it's something I support. You know, now we have a proposal to move that up um, by having a cost sharing arrangement with someone we've done business with for 35 years. Certainly one of our CIP indicators, um, CRP um, scoring matrices is contributions from others, be it a grant or otherwise. And so I do think um, this helps us on that scoring matrix to have someone not only 
pay for most of it, but all of it. And so um, I feel pretty strongly that this is a good proposal moving forward. I understand those details to be worked out, in particular, the Corps of Engineers, who I have also worked with in some legal matters, and they are very slow and difficult sometimes to get answers from. But I do think they, um, you know, I mean, they typically um, can accomplish what they say they're going to accomplish. It just sometimes takes a while to get the right things signed off upon. So I understand that's a process we have to go through, but I certainly support uh, moving um, forward with this. Um, other comments? And um, Marcus, yes. Marcus, typically we don't take comments, you know, after we brought it back to the commission and I've called on you, you know, as best I can to answer, but as, as we're in the comment stage, and if someone, a commissioner mm -hmm. has a specific question they can ask you, but trying to move this along. And so we'll, we'll bring this to commission comments. Yes, this is commissioner Larson. And, um, one thing that is intriguing about this is the idea of a public-private partnership, and that's something that we've done across several um, of our programs. I think about economic development. We have public-private partnerships. I think about the affordable housing. We've got public partner privacy, um, public and private partnerships. And even this um, last weekend, we had a forum um, with the Arts Center or the Arts, and we talked about the idea of having public partner partnerships and help to help some of that funding. So this is um, something that I think fits really well with our values is to have the public work with um, the government in order to bring great assets to our community. And I really do, like I said, I appreciate Call Valley and Mammoth for, for making this offer and bringing it to us. Um, I, I definitely support it, that's for sure. Um, um, you know, I just want to make sure that, you know, all of our contracts are in order and that we are protected. The city is protected as much as they can be from any liability that could potentially occur. So, I, yeah, this is great. Thank you for bringing it to us. This is Commissioner Boley. Um, I know there's significant interest in turf fields. I've heard that for some time. Um, I support amending the CIP, even though the ink is barely dry on it. Uh, this is a project that merits it. Vice Mayor Shipley, um, uh, we've all talked about public-private partnerships for many years, and of course we encourage them. Um, and Parks and Rec is probably more experienced in using them than, than any other department. Um, and so I would just remind us all that we adopted a strategic plan and some of its commitments are um, community engagement and um, equity and inclusion. And so while we've heard a great deal from this particular group, it's very generous in their um, fundraising, we haven't heard from really any other groups in the public. Um, so that's a concern to me. Um, uh, I have an additional concern while, and, and I think this folds into what Commissioner Larson was saying, which, um, you know, perhaps that just goes into that discussion of how the um, contract works out. I appreciate that if they default that there's an additional fee, but you can't get blood from a turnip. So if uh, of a uh, nonprofit organization fall, folds after promising 10 years of um, 
uh, of money for an asset, um, then really there's not any recourse that I know of. Um, we can tell them they owe us all day, but that won't necessarily make money appear. So um, as you know, Commissioner Larson mentioned that that's a liability I would like more clarity on. Um, I am also concerned that, you know, there are things that lived on our CIP in Parks and Rec for over 10 years. Um, a low mod neighborhood begged for a splash park um, and there was no amount of begging that caused it to go to the top of the list. So I just want us to think seriously about the equity that we've made a commitment to. We've made a commitment to. And while I think this is incredibly attractive and I, and I hope someone can uh, help me allay these concerns, um, they, I think they are legitimate concerns in light of our strategic plan. This is Commissioner Ananda. Um, I think that if this project weren't revenue neutral um, in the agreements that we have in the long-term relationship that we've had with this organization, um, that you know ultimately this frees us up to provide more of those projects that have historically languished on our CIP for a long time. Um, and and I, I certainly understand the vice mayor's reticence um, to engage in pro projects like this because it is very much not speaking to that equity piece, but what are the the kind of lateral consequences of that in that we may have additional funding in the future in order to fund more of these projects. So I think that there is a little bit of give and take to that. I think that um, having a revenue neutral project in something that I think all of us can probably agree is not going away um, anytime soon, given the continued rise of popularity of soccer in the United States, rather than diminishing popularity of that sport. So for me, um, that that puts me in a place where, you know, Commissioner Larson and the mayor's comments um, resonate in light of um also taking, you know, Vice Mayor, your your comments about equity and about our strategic plan and really looking at what are the the other benefits that come with that. Um, when someone comes to us and says, we are funding this, where does that let us put more of our taxpayer dollars for the folks who aren't able to come to us with, you know, more than a million dollars saying, you know, we want to do this, we want to see this happen. Great. Now we can do some of those things for those folks who can't walk to us with that giant bundle of cash. Mayor Finkel, I and I guess I'd add to that, Vice Mayor Shipley. I, I think, you know, one one difference um, as we talk about our process is this is on the CIP. It is not as if it's not on the CIP. It was on the CIP that was presented and discussed and seen by the public. And um, it's not a new project that was not on the CIP that we're adding to it. And so, um, you know, certainly it's a movement of the CIP. Um, from an out year moving forward, but we have done that historically in the past as projects come up, um, as a you know, reason to do that, um, both because there's a, a funding opportunity, but also maybe because of some other timing. Um, it, maybe it, it works to do a sidewalk project along with a street project. Um, 
And so we move a sidewalk project up with the street project or a water project with the street project. We bring those together when the timing is right. Um, and so, you know, I, I certainly under, understand your point and, and I'm not on one hand, you know, but I do think it makes a difference to me that's on the CIP and it's only a movement of that CIP. And then to Commissioner Ananda's point, you're now freeing up dollars in the CIP to be used on other projects. Um, and so, you know, it, it actually frees dollars up on the CIP, not take dollars away from the CIP. So again, I think that is something I, I favor. So again, don't know if that sways you at all, but uh, those are my thought processes on that point. Vice Mayor Shipley. Yeah, actually it does. And I appreciate um, Commissioner Ananda and you, Mayor, for um, having actual dialogue <laughs> and conversation uh, that helps com convince someone else to um, see uh, where there's weakness to find strength. So I appreciate both of your comments. That was very helpful. Commissioner, I just, oh, sorry, go ahead. Mayor. Go ahead, Commissioner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, because that was one, I did think about that and uh, Commissioner Ananda and the mayor brought that up regarding freeing up dollars to spend on other things, which I think is always a positive. But I, I might add that we do um, we did fund a splash park. In fact, in 2019, it was defunded. It was funded. Then it was defunded, and then it was we um, the commission at the time really pushed hard to get it funded. And that's that's a splash park. The first one in Lawrence. In fact, it's going into East Lawrence neighborhood. And so that's something that was a real equity issue for me at the time of uh, getting that installed. And plus, I think splash parks are are great. Um, uh, for neighborhoods. Uh, so, uh, you know, we do, I think we do watch that really well. And that was, was um, one example, I think, of ensuring that um, the equity issue is, is at least talked about and addressed in some manner, even though, you know, we're a long ways from make, being perfect on that. Mayor Finkelai, um, I would also add, I, I meant to say earlier that to reiterate the point, Commissioner Shipley, that, uh, that Jeremy brought up, which is, even if Caw Valley defaulted, um, we would still have the asset and we would still have an asset that could be rented out and, and be used. And so the, the fear probably for me is not so much that Caw Valley would go away, but that for some reason people stop playing soccer or stop playing football. And I think those chances are much less likely that that will happen. Um, so I think it, you know, even if, again, something weird happened just you know, Sporting Car Valley, um, the, the ability to rent that those fields out at a higher price than the grass fields, I, I think the demand would be there um, for the use. So I think the risk is, is minimal um, for that added um, amenity. Mayor Fingerlai, Derek, do you need, or Sherry, maybe it's either for you, this is to provide direction. Do you need other direction from us? What what do you need from us? Graduate Parks and Recreation, um, I'm to defer to, to Sherry on exactly what action to take from this. Mayor, I mean, as typical, I don't, sorry, Sherry Reedman, City Clerk, um, there's really no motion on tonight. Um, it, it sounds like there's going to be a series of steps that are going to come back for you all to have take action on in the future. 
Um, I guess I would only add then that I would, um, you know, obviously uh, to me personally, I think we want to move this as quickly as we can. And of course, we are dependent, uh, as, assume, on the coal. Um, and obviously, you know, items can come back on the consent agenda. If anyone has an issue with those, we can pull them off the consent agenda. Um, so that process will be what it is. But um, hopefully we can move this forward. And again, having that construction done for the spring would, you know, everyone, I assume, would find that very helpful to get these up and running by the time the spring season started. So hopefully that is the goal. Mayor Finkel, any other comments? Um, Marcus and all the board members of Sporting Car Valley, thank you um, for being here tonight. Thank you for all your work. Thank you for the work you're going to be doing um, in the future to finish this, but also thank you for the help you um, do with our kids and, and, with, and with for our community. I mean, I've served on lots of nonprofit boards and, and uh, I know that it takes a lot of work um, and it takes a lot of passion to make that happen. So appreciate all the work you guys do and we look forward to extending that 35 year relationship with you and, and pushing this forward. So thank you all. Okay. Um, we like to take a 10 minute break before we move on to the next item. It's let's return at um, 811 and we'll take up item number two. Ready? We are ready, Mayor. Thank you, Mayor Finkeldine, returning from break. And we're now ready for regular agenda item number two, which is to consider a text amendment to the subdivision regulations. I believe Mary Miller here is, is here to present this item. Yes, thank you, Mary Miller, city county planner. And I will share my screen. Mayor, quickly, do we need to take a roll? Yes. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Commissioner Ananda. Uh, good point. I forgot about that. Vice Mayor Shipley. Here. Commissioner Ananda. Here. Commissioner Lawson. Here. Commissioner Bully. Here. Mayor Finkel, I here. Thank you for that reminder. We are all here and we are all anxiously awaiting Ms. Miller's report. <laughs> Go ahead, Mary. Thank you, Mary Miller, planner. Um, this is a text amendment, as you noted, to revise the land divisions that are possible in the city of Lawrence's urban growth area. Uh, this was before you um, about a month ago for um, consideration. Just a little background, it was initiated by the County Commission. It was considered by the Planning Commission in June and they forwarded it to the City Commission and the County Commission with a recommendation for approval. It was presented to the County Commission on August 11th of this year, just to provide the information and um, ask direction. It was also presented to the City Commission on August 17th of this year, again, for discussion and direction. The amendment was returned to the County Commission on September 29th for action, and the Commission voted unanimously to approve the revisions to the subdivision regulations, which are noted as option one in the staff report for both tier two and tier three. And the amendment is before the um, Porter, can you mute you? I think we're getting some feedback there. Thank you. Sorry, Mary, go ahead. Okay, sorry. And the amendment is before the commission tonight, along with the joint resolution ordinance uh, with the recommendation for action. 
And this uh, text amendment is being processed in an attempt to bring the rural land divisions more closely into conformance with the recommendations in Plan 2040. Uh, Plan 2040 recommends that we minimize the conversion of agricultural land to non-agricultural uses and that we protect the rural character of the rural area. Um, the subdivision regulations as written, uh, they were written under the former comprehensive plan, Horizon 2020, which recommended that in the rural area, any residential development should be directed to the urban growth area. Uh, this is a graphic showing the city of Lawrence urban growth area. Everything in blue is within the city limits. That's not the subject of this amendment. We're looking at the green area, which is tier two. And that's the area that's expected to annex first, um, based primarily on the location of utilities. And then the tan area, which is tier three, which would be expected to annex later, perhaps not in the lifespan of plan 2040. Um, you saw some of this earlier, I'll just go over it fairly quickly. Um, the zoning and code staff worked with the county GIS analyst to determine just where was the county in terms of land divisions. And currently about 70% of the county is made up of parcels that are over 40 acres in size. So this is a, a good time to start working at uh, limiting the conversion of agricultural land it's while we still have a good um, inventory stock of larger parcels. Uh, this graphic shows the uh, number of residential development parcels that have been created since 2006. That's when the subdivision regulations were revised to allow certificates of survey. And just as a brief background, there's two types. The one that's allowed in the urban growth area is called a cluster development. And um, it allows a maximum density of four parcels per 20 acres, a minimum size of three acres each. And it also requires a minimum area of 40% of the certificate of survey has to be put into a future development area that cannot be developed until it is annexed. And so that goal is to keep some land undeveloped. So it's annexed, it's possible to do future urban development. Outside the urban growth area is a much simpler type of certificate of survey called the rural certificate of survey. That has a maximum density of two dwelling units or two residential development parcels per 20 acres. And it's just 10 acres. Um, that's the minimum size of a parcel that you can divide to. So these surveys are just very simple, straightforward surveys. Uh, this shows that there was a spike in the number of uh, residential development parcels in 2016 and 2018. And um, there's just a lot of development pressure on the county. Uh, you'll see there's a downward trend then in 2020, the zoning regulations are revised to require rezonings prior to land division. So to divide land in the urban growth area, it's first necessary to rezone to the CP or cluster preservation district. Now, if you get your rezoning, then you can go through the cluster certificate of survey. And with these rezonings, the zoning regulations also added a new review criteria. That means the agricultural productivity or potential of a property is to be considered when looking at a rezoning request. And one of the concerns with the number of cluster certificates of survey within the urban growth area was that it might be difficult for these residentially developed areas to subdivide and redevelop to urban densities after they're annexed. Unfortunately, we have not had any cluster developments annexed since 2006, so we don't actually have an example. But um, some of the concerns were that it may not be possible to extend utilities uh, the way they were being designed. 
And so one of the proposed options, it's option two on the screen, is to add additional standards for the build-out plans. Um, these are currently required. They show the property being divided into city blocks. It shows the layout of future city streets, and it has the easements along the perimeter of the blocks. And so um, some of the changes, it was mentioned in the staff report, some of the changes that were being proposed was to show the division down to the lot area. So we could see how the lots would be laid out. And the purpose of that is that in the city, around the perimeter of the block, those easements are usually for electricity and other types of utilities, but our sanitary sewer goes along the rear lot lines. And so if the lots aren't arranged so their lot lines are even, it would be pretty difficult to extend sanitary sewer lines. So one of the um, changes that was uh, recommended for the build-out plans was to show the lots so we could have um, regular lot lines. There'd be a center lot line down the middle of the block and a 15 foot wide area could be left out of the building envelope or put into an easement. And that would ensure that sanitary sewer lines could be extended to the area. And the other improvement would be that the city engineers would be included in the review of these build-out plans. So they could see that um, the layout would be conducive whenever utilities are available in that area. And so that was option two. Option one uh, for tier two was to prohibit any new land divisions through the subdivision regulations until the property is annexed. And um, there's a caveat to this. There would still be able to be land divisions. Uh, those things that are exempt from the subregs such as agricultural land divisions, uh, divisions for right-of-way, cemeteries, and uh, we have an agricultural subdivision boundary survey exemption, and you can divide land down to 20 acres as an exemption to the subdivision regulations, and then each 20-acre parcel is buildable. Uh, these would still be allowed, and also any property that's currently zoned CP um, it would be able to be divided. Either the certificate of survey could be amended or it could be platted. Whatever rights they have with their rezoning, it would not affect that. They could still divide as is allowed in the CP district. There would just be no new rezonings to the CP district. And so one side effect of this amendment, if it uh, moves forward, is we would need to revise the zoning regulations to note that uh, there are no new rezonings permitted to that CP district. And I would point out we do have one active rezoning application. Um, staff have been working with the property owner for uh, almost a year with their plans. And so that one rezoning we would recommend be allowed to continue, but that we would possibly put a moratorium on any new rezoning requests. And the tier three, and that's the area that's not expected to annex possibly within the lifespan of the comprehensive plan. Um, it has that option too about revising the build-out plans. Um, in option one, it recommends uh, not having cluster certificates of survey in this area, but to allow the divisions to occur the same way they do throughout the rest of the unincorporated portion of the county. And that is with that simple rural certificate of survey, you divide a 20-acre parcel or a 30-acre parcel, but the minimum parcel size you can have is 10 acres and your maximum density is two residential development parcels per 20 acres. And as I mentioned, the Planning Commission um, had a public hearing on this on June 21st, and they voted unanimously to forward the amendment to the County Commission and the City Commission with a recommendation of option one, and that being the reduced land division options in both tier two and tier three. And as I mentioned, if this is approved, we would need to um, begin work on revising the zoning regulations so that we would not have additional 
zonings to the CP district. And that concludes my presentation, but I'll be happy to answer questions if you have any for me. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Mary. Um, questions for Mary on this? Commissioner Larson, uh, Mary, could you go back to the slides that showed options one and two, please? Thank you. Um, so can you give me an idea as, uh, as far as option two on both of the tier two and three, where it um, lays out the idea of, of having a revising the build out plans to ensure the city services can be extended. Um, can you give me an idea as to, was, would did the staff recommend this option and the planning commission said they wanted option one or um, how did that work? No, I believe in the staff report, uh, Mary Miller Planner, in the staff report, we reviewed both options and the option to revise the build-out plans and you know, add those features you know, could work to ensure that utilities would be extended efficiently. But there's still some concern that you know, if you look at the kind of residential development that occurs out in the urban growth area, they're usually these um, estate homes. And so when you have these developments with the estate homes, it may be difficult once they get annexed to actually put in more dense urban development right next to them. And certain portions of the urban growth area don't have long range plans adopted yet. So in areas where we have long range plans, it's easy to say, well, this would not be appropriate because it's designated for future commercial or future office. But large areas of the urban growth area don't have long range plans. And so residential development would just be placed everywhere. And then our long range plans it may be difficult to designate areas for residential or commercial or, I mean, office or commercial. So we did not recommend the revised build that plan option. It is an option, but we thought that perhaps just restricting the land divisions might work better. Commissioner Larson, thank you. Uh, so did we look at um, the idea of if we had these smaller parcels or allowed these smaller smaller parcels in the um, tier two until tier three, that we could put regulations in place or ordinances or code or whatever that would require that um, when it came time to annex them, that it would have to uh, be divided in such that it meets our d density needs as well as, well as um, the tax base that is needed in order to provide um, utility services to these locations where they would have to divide it like maybe as RS7, the property had to be divided so that all of the lots are RS7. Um, did, it, did we look at anything like that? Mary Miller Planner, I don't know that we can require a person to divide their land. You know, when they come in and they're annexed, the first step they have to do is rezone to an appropriate district. So they could rezone to the RS7 district, but there's nothing saying you cannot have a larger lot than is allowed in the RS7 district. That can happen in any district. So I'm not sure that we could require these property owners that have their developed parcel to divide it. That'd be something we probably have to ask the county counselor if that's possible. I... Hmm. So did we explore that at all? I mean, the idea of, of requiring, having ordinances that would require 
us to be able to divide it to the density that we need for in order for that tax base to be met? No, we did not explore, Mary Miller Planner, we did not explore that option. You know, when land is annexed, it's usually done voluntarily. And, you know, we have annexation agreements, those are required. And our annexation agreements say they'll connect to the city sewer and they will annex you know, whenever they're within a certain distance from a sewer line. But we don't specifically state that their properties have to be reduced to a certain size. You can take that screen off now, sorry, Mary. Okay. Thanks, Mayor Shipley. Maybe I, I misunderstand, but to a certain extent, I, I understood the purpose of area plans would encompass the kind of thing that Commissioner Larson is um, wondering about. Am I misunderstanding area plans? Well, an area plan, Mary Miller Planner, an area plan would show where urban type of development, what we're looking for. So we may look at low density residential development and usually where we see low density residential development is where we would recommend cluster certificates of survey because there are three acres per house. And what we consider low density is 10,000 square feet or up to one acre per house. So it's easy to see that it could convert over to low density. We would not recommend it where we see medium density or high density in you know, apartments. So where we have long range plans, we're able to not approve certificates of survey or the rezoning because the rezoning just wouldn't match what use is being recommended in the long range plan. So, so that's what the purpose of the long range plan is. You know, we can see what there should go into, but um, we have large lots in the city that we don't require the people to divide their property. I don't know if that's a possibility. Mayor Finkelai, Commissioner Lawson, are you asking, I mean, there's nothing requires us to annex something. And so if someone wants to annex a very large lot, we wouldn't have to annex them unless they will, you know, if, if they want us to annex some, some small lots, we could say yes to that. So I think is your question, I'm not sure we could force them to do that, but we could always say no to the annexation request if it wasn't something we felt that we could provide services for at a reasonable amount. Is that what you're asking? Well, I think that's a good point, Mayor, that, that definitely we can always say no to an annexation. I, I think my understanding of the goal here is to meet Plan 2040, to meet the sustainability as well as the um, how Plan 40 is laid out, which is really important. And that the idea of when we annex property in, that that you know the desire is to have it as dense as possible, so that way we can ensure that we have a tax base that is there that it can pay for the utilities, that can pay for the infrastructure that is needed in order to. Um, provide those services to those homes. And so when you have smaller lots, your tax base is bigger. And when you have the larger lots, and we've seen this out in um, neighborhoods out in a couple of mountain um, western part of Lawrence where we annexed them in, these were large lots and they had significant um, uh, sewer issues that we had to go in and fix and repair and bring in sewer. Um, I don't know if anybody had a chance to look at um, the county, um, meeting back in February 10th, uh, Chad Voigt did a great um, uh, presentation about how when we bring these, um, these smaller uh, parcels in that have, you know, just one house and they're large lots, that it really is difficult to 
have the tax base there to pay for the infrastructure that's needed. And of course, it doesn't fall in line with plan 2040 of our need to have high density um, as well as our sustainability goals. So that's what I'm trying to understand better is, is if we're going to totally do a moratorium on development outside our tier or tier one, the, until we can um, annex that property in or annex that area in. Uh, my concern is, is, is that these larger three, five acre lots, it kind of um, doesn't give the opportunity to those who have those size of lots to to or want to you know develop those size of lots to um, to do that if we put a moratorium on it. Um, so I'm just wondering if there's any way if, if we could have those size of lots, but somehow require that that in order for them to be annexed into the city, that they would have to come in at a high density rate instead of just doing a full moratorium at this time. Mr. Larson, I guess I am, I'm just concerned that, you know, a full, full moratorium, that's just, that seems, it's, it's drastic. Um, but I also know that doing that, I mean, it would definitely meet our sustainability goals of making sure that what we bring into the city comes in at a high density rate. And it definitely meets that, those goals. I think somebody can tell me differently. Mayor Finkel, I guess I, I see, I see the goal of this the opposite of what you're saying, which is, you know, the issue is, you know, for example, if you go south on 59 highway, you have a bunch of three acre lots. Well, people have lived there and they've lived there for a long time. Um, you know, it doesn't make sense to annex them, right? Because they don't pay for themselves. They, you know, getting services out there would be difficult. On the flip side, it, it doesn't make sense to buy you know, nine acres of land, including three $300,000 houses, tear down the houses and then try to build, you know, um, you know, 15 houses on those nine lots. So, so I think the goal here is to areas in tier two, like west of town, to preserve that nine acres with no houses on it, so that when it when someone wants to build on it, they want to build on it to those density levels and annexed. And it is so, so it's to save those lots from being built on. So I, I think the thought you were articulating, if I understood it, was we'll let them build those houses, but we just want to bring them in until they divide it smaller. I think the idea of this is to leave that land undeveloped until they're ready to come in and in fact encourage them to come in. I mean, um, encourage those folks to want to come in and start building instead of dividing it into three houses, come ask us and let's get 15 houses on there. So I think that is the encouragement of the Moritam. So I guess I see that the goal of this being opposite of what you're saying, but maybe a misunderstanding. Yeah, I, I can see your point of view on that. I can, I can understand that. I'm just concerned that we're basically putting an entire moratorium that they can't do anything with that property until the city is ready to annex it. Is that what I'm understanding correctly? And, and I'll defer to Mary to make sure, but yes, I think so. Mary Miller, planner. It's a, it's a moratorium on land divisions that are not exempt. So they can go down to the 20 acres 
you know, with the ag sub or they can do their other divisions, they can build on their property. You know, if they have a property that's already been divided, they can get a building permit and build on it. But I think just imagining the scenario, if you had, you had the larger parcels, you said we won't annex you unless you agree to divide, as long as they agree to that. Otherwise, we're gonna have obstacles to annexation because we may have areas that have these large houses, but we'd really like to annex what's on the other side of them. And then we're gonna, we have islands, you know, within the city, which we have some of those now. We do, yeah. Yeah, Commissioner, yeah, I agree with what we do, we do right now. That's some of the issues, yeah. Mayor Finkel, I have questions before we open it to public comment. Seeing none, this is a public hearing item. Sure, if anyone is present, they and want to speak on this item, they have three minutes. If someone's speaking there, we can't hear them. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. All right. Bobby Flory from the Lawrence Home Builders Association. As you all know, the Lawrence housing market is severely constrained by an inadequate inventory of buildable lots. We know the demand for housing is strong, particularly for affordable housing and workforce housing. The text amendment before you tonight further constrains opportunities for housing and even goes against your adopted comprehensive plan. Commissioner Larson asked last time we talked about this item, why staff was recommending a text amendment that would eliminate clustering when it's called for in plan 2040. The response was given there was a difference between the general term cluster and the term cluster development certificate for survey. This is just semantics. The intent of these two terms is the same, to yield better organized growth. Without the cluster development certificate of survey, there won't be clustering because there will only be 20 acre lots or possibly if they can be divided down into 10 acre lots. That's not good planning. That's not preserving our agricultural land when instead of clustering, we have uh, blocks of 10 acre at the smallest lots. This eliminates creative land development throughout with thoughtful build out planning. Options for housing in areas two and three that are appropriate are eliminated. What then is your plan to accommodate future housing needs? You should be proactively making plans to annex land in tier two now. Collaborate to plan and facilitate the development we need for housing. Encourage annexations by removing some of the risks involved now. Remove regulatory barriers to housing now, not wait a year from now when we have a new written development code. We had an opportunity to do that recently and the city commission passed on that to reduce some of the regulatory barriers. Um, and also lastly, to, um, to encourage um, accommodation of future housing needs, the city commission should make an effort to establish private public partnerships that um, dedicate resources to the expansion of water and sewer. 
Commissioner Bowley made an excellent point earlier as well uh, at our last meeting that we talked about this. He said that you all work hard to provide services for the, to the city and that you must be very careful to make sure future development is fiscally responsible. I 100% agree with Commissioner Bowley. We cannot afford to grow in all directions. We provided five different scenarios of directions of growth and we were hoping to come out of that with a direction from the city commission, some sort of um, a sign of telling us where you want the growth to go and that didn't happen. Um, that is a reactionary position and I think the city commission needs to be more action oriented and take the leadership on this. Being proactive is calling for I'm planning that results in outcomes you want. Um, I would encourage you to deny this, uh, this text amendment tonight. Thank you. Chris Flowers. Sorry, Mayor. That's all I'd hear. So <laughs> I'm moving on. Thank you, Chair. You've got you got this under control. Go for it. Thank you. Hi. Um. This is Chris Flowers, and um, I just want to bring up. We're talking about dense housing, which I can understand. And I'm okay with talking about increasing population density, but when we talk about this, one thing we I've, I've never heard the city even mention is population control. I think we need to be making some kind of proclamation recommending that people don't have more than two kids. Um, Captain Planet did an episode on that like back in the 90s. So, I mean, that idea has been around for a while. And here's why we need it is because, I mean, we're talking about population density. We know there's more and more people. If there were less people, we this wouldn't be as big of a problem. So I'm okay if we're doing this, this population density and stuff, but when are we gonna tell people to start having less kids? That's... I mean, why isn't the government doing anything like that? I mean, because we're talking about giving up plastic straws, which I'm okay with. I mean, we're just giving up a lot to make up for all this trash we have, and we wouldn't have nearly so much trash if there's less people. I mean, we wouldn't need all this population density in the, these big... And here's another idea I was just thinking of. If people had smaller families, we would have... we There wouldn't be a need for as many big houses there'd be more there'd be you know more tiny homes more small homes and so that's that would kind of work for population density and that you could fit more houses you know because they wouldn't be as big and the other thing i was just thinking about is about generational wealth that we're going to be losing houses it sounds like in favor of more apartment buildings but that means less opportunities for people to own houses to pass on to their kids so i just think if there was less population there we'd be a lot better off so i'm okay with if what you do what you have to do i just wish when you talk about this stuff that we could at least get a conversation about issuing a statement saying that you know having more than two kids could be it's not helping anyone thank you danielle davy Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Uh, Danielle Davey, the Governmental Affairs Director for the Lawrence Board of Realtors. Uh, let me start by saying that I understand the rationale behind this text, this text amendment. 
and I appreciate the need to plan for future urban development, particularly in tier two. But Lawrence needs housing development. We need proactive, organized, sustainable, affordable housing development, and we need it now. Uh, when you first looked at this text amendment about a month ago, the mayor commented and Commissioner Larson agreed that if the commission was going to adopt uh, the restrictions that are recommended by staff, the city needed to be ready to annex. But I'm going to take that a step further and say that expressing an openness or a willingness to annex is not enough. We need leadership and direction from you as our elected officials uh, regarding where you want to see development. And then we need the city to be proactive in working with landowners and both the profit, the for-profit and nonprofit housing developers to meet the housing needs of the community. If you're not willing to commit to that tonight, then I urge you to consider the less restrictive option presented by staff. That option still meets the objective for planning for urban growth through build-out plans and uh, does not unnecessarily restrict property rights or impair the housing development that we do have. Thank you. That's all the public comment, Mayor. <clears throat> Mayor Pindle, thank you. Bring it back to the commission for questions and comments. Mary, am I correct? The next step after, it, assuming it passes tonight, you would go to the county commission for their final approval? I mean, they've talked about it like we talked about it, but they haven't actually approved it, have they? Mary Miller Planner. No, they have approved option one, so they voted to approve it. So if you voted differently, I'd have to ask uh, the planning director what this next step would be. Okay. So they've, they've actually voted for it. Okay. Thank you. I didn't see that in you. I just wanted to make sure I was on the right page. Okay. Mayor Finkelai, other questions, comments? This is Commissioner Larson. I would um, wonder if anybody in the commission be, would be open to the idea of um, obviously moving forward on, uh, with a moratorium, which um, I understand that, but also the possibility of taking a few months to um, to look at the idea of coming up with a plan that doesn't just totally shut out any sort of development in these tier tier two and tier three, um, and look at a creative way to um, allow. Uh, to ensure that we get the density we need when we do annex. Um, um, but at the same time, just it's, it's not a, a nothing or everything. And it just seems to me like the option two is that we just don't do anything in tier two and tier three until it's ready to be annexed. And in tier two, as we know, um, that's the expectation through plan 2040, but tier three is beyond plan 2040. So I don't know if there'd be any interest in the commission to, move forward with the moratorium at the same time, continue to look at the idea of coming up with a creative plan on how we can have these smaller developments, but still meet all of our sustainability and, and, and density needs. Um, it's Commissioner Bowley. I'm really not interested in that, Commissioner Larson. Um, you know, we've got plan 2040. We have the recommendation from staff. We have the passage from the planning commission and the passage from the county commission. You know, I think that we can be open to changes as the plan progresses, but I think it's important for us to support this and support the county commission in, in what they've done.
No, I think I have questions or comments. I guess I can add in, in you know, a couple, you know, as, as Danielle Davey said, you know, I, I mean, I see this, I mean, I look at it a couple ways. One, you know, these are apostles in the county at the moment and in the county commission, we obviously have joint subdivision regulations by agreement. We wouldn't have to, right? A county could do what a county wanted to do, except that we've agreed to each consider these. Um, and, and so the county commission has said, this is what you know we want to do in the county. But, but I think that ties to us and the reason we have these joint subdivision regulations is as we've talked about, is we want to implement, you know, Plan 2040, and we want this um, density, and we need this density. And, and I think both Bobby and Danielle um, and others have made made the point we all know, which is we need more housing, and we need more dense housing. Um, we don't need necessarily more 20 acre lots of houses. And um, so, you know, I I do think we need to move forward. Um, and, and, and be aggressive with this idea of, of, of how do we get more land developed? We've talked about that before. Um, and certainly, you know, we're committed to that. Um, you know, I'm of the belief we need landowners to come with us on that, that, you know, we have a couple options before us. If one, at the moment, we have known none of the landowners and any of those options coming forward saying they want us to annex them, they want them to move forward. Um, we have um, owners who are not doing that. And, and so my I guess my challenge is to the development community is bring us an owner who wants to develop and let's talk about annexation, how we can move that forward. Um, if we pick a direction um, and, and say, we want to go this way and we want to invest money and the owner of the land says, I'm not gonna sell that till I die 10 or 15 years from now, what good does that do us to pick a direction when an owner of the land is not um, willing to move with us? So, so my challenge back to the development community is bring us some owners who are willing to partner with us um, to have these developments. So anyway, that's a little off the topic, but um, you know, the, the topic is, you know, we want this dense land. We want to annex, and this is really a challenge to us and to those homeowners to those landowners to move forward with the annexation. I think that's the goal we want to accomplish and, and I support that goal. And um, and so I, I think this moves us towards plan 2040. And, and Commissioner Lawson, I, I hear your point. I mean, um, you know, there could be situations that come before us that or particular situations um, that we might need to consider. And, and certainly I hope staff and others are willing to listen to that. but. We've made some iterations here, and I think this is the next logical step forward to preserve that land that will allow us to have denser development. And so, um, I really see this as a, you know, a pro-growth sort of um, amendment. Others might disagree with me; they might see it as a way to stop growth, but I see it as a as a pro-growth development process to encourage that annexation and put that pressure on us and the landowners. So I, I, I'm in favor of. It.
other comments or questions or motion? This is Commissioner Ananda. It almost feels unfair to um, be part of the vote on this because I think that the repercussions will be minimally impacting me, but for being a resident of the city. And I think that it's really important because you all, um, at least two of you, <laughs> I guess, with an election season upon us, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna make any assumptions. Um, We'll be, we'll be sitting with this for a long time, but I do take Danny's point and I do take the mayor's point of, you know, we do have to be proactive on this, but it's not incumbent on the city alone to be proactive on this. How do we get, you know, those folks who say, reach out um, to connect us to those folks as well. Um, and I think that's a really important part of this conversation, particularly because this is an opportunity to work with the county um, rather than having anyone working unilaterally on this issue. That is you know, something that we've all come together and agreed upon. Um, we have to grasp those <laughs> agreements tightly and move forward together with those. Commissioner Arson, uh, Mayor, I really do appreciate your comments on that because I think it holds a lot of truth. Um, you know, my, one of my concerns is it just seems like an option one. It just seems like an all or nothing. We're just going to totally, it seems like we're going to just stop um, the idea of being able to, you know, uh, have landowners in that tier two or tier three um, do anything with their properties until we annex them in. I take to heart what is said about proactive planning um, for annexation annexation because that's something I'm really concerned about. Seems like we're at a stalemate. We've got the home builders, then we got the city, and, and both parties are pointing fingers at each other saying we need to um, we need to annex. And and I agree that I think that we do need to do it in a very smart way to where we can do it on the city's term that we meet plan 24 that we have the density we need to have so that we can pay for the fire services that have to come out that we can pay for the police services that we can pay for the utilities to come out we've got to have density to do that and that's because uh, that brings in those tax dollars that can provide that funding to do that um but i do think we're getting i think it's a a, a very serious situation that that we can't seem to move forward we're not moving forward with um you know, hard plans on annexation Mayor Finkelai, any other comments, motions? This is Commissioner Ananda. In the, in the interest of moving this forward, I will go ahead and make the motion. Um, I move that we approve the text amendment TA 21-00107, revising the subdivision regulations for Lawrence and the unincorporated areas of Douglas County, Kansas, and adopt on first reading joint, joint ordinance number 9780, do I need the resolution number in there? I can look it up. Hang on. Anybody have that number? Mary Miller, planner. We don't have a resolution number. The county commission always assigns that later, so it's just blank. Okay. Um, joint ordinance number 979870 and resolution. Ms. Commissioner Bowley, second. Mayor Finkelai, there's a motion by Commissioner Nanda, a second by Commissioner Bully. Commissioner Nanda? Aye. 
Commissioner Bully? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? I'm going to vote aye on this, um, but I do want to make the statement that um, it, it, I'm voting aye because it does meet our Plan 40 uh, goals and our core requirements, but I'm just very concerned is that it's um, such an extreme way to do this. And um, I want to meet Plan 24 goals, but I think that um, we need to do it in a more proactive way um, and look at annexation. Mayor Finkel, aye. aye. Passes five to zero. Thank you, and I look forward to working, continuing to move on, on this process, and as we all are, and getting some more housing. That takes us to agenda item number three. Thank you, Mary, by the way, as well. Agenda item number three is to consider authorizing the city manager to execute an agreement for fire provision in the Grand Township. And Chief Coffey, you kicking us off on this? Yes, sir. I'll be doing that. Sean Coffey, Fire Chief, and I have Tom Fagan, Division Chief Administration here as well. So tonight we're just going to talk a little bit about the Fire Protection and Grant uh, Township and uh, the re uh, renewing of that agreement we have to provide a fire suppression in that township location. Uh, just as a reminder, Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical provides response for all fire, rescue, hazmat, and EMS incidents in Grant Township. As a part of our agreement, we provide fire suppression throughout the city of Lawrence, but not in the surrounding townships with the exception of Grant Township. We do provide fire response capabilities there. <clears throat> uh, Grant Township receives the same resource deployment uh, that the city of Lawrence receives. So a structure fire out in Grant Township would receive the same amount of resources as a structure fire in the city of Lawrence we'd receive. In 2020, we responded to 53 calls that were non-EMS or non-corner scene investigator related calls. Of those 53 calls, 15 were actually fires. None of them, fortunately, were structure fires. All 15 involved crop fires, uh, grass fires, vehicle fires, large truck fires, um, those type of incidents. And then the other 38 were uh, good intent calls where somebody responded, thought they saw something on fire and there was no fire, gasoline spills, alarm system activations, smoke detector activations, authorized burnings, lift assists, and then any other non-EMS incident that we might've gone on. Currently the agreement we have in place sunsets at the end of this year, it was signed initially in 2016. We've been providing service to Grant Township since 1979, uh, long before even I got on the fire department. The funding agreement in 2005 was for $35,000 and the funding agreement for 2021 is $155,000. We're recommending that to be moved to $160,000. That's a 357% increase since 2005. Next. So the current agreement that we have uh, was designed when we had our model for EMS where we paid 74.36% of the fire cost and the county paid the 24% uh, related to that. And so what we did when we proportioned that out, we looked at the um, current 
assessed valuation for the entire county and what percentage of that was for Grant Township. And at that time is 1.19% in 2016. And then we took that 1.19% and applied it to that 74.36% of our budget. Next. So here's a great uh, graph here that McKenzie worked to do for us uh, with our city GIS. This is just a little bit of a heat map that shows the response times from fire station number one to the different areas within Grant Township. The yellow circles are commercial property areas within Grant Township. And those areas that encircled account for about $17 million of their assessed valuation. Those coincidentally coincide with the amount of responses that we have for those 53 calls that we went to in 2020. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have McKenzie here. She just uh, recently had a new baby girl. And so we're all very excited for her. And But we look forward to her return. But I did it the old fashioned way. I took a map and I plotted all the points onto the map. Old school, it, it never fails. But when I plotted those 53 calls, all 53 of those calls aligned with those commercial districts. Uh, with the addition of I-70 that proceeds through the area, 24 highway and 59 highway. So the calls were all clustered around those areas. That's where the people were at and that's where the risk takes place. Next, please. So in uh, this year, we uh, have a new EMS agreement, as everybody knows, uh, created a new formula. Uh, we're now that the county is uh, responsible for 36% and the city is responsible for 64% of our budget. As we divide that up, we have the fire only expenses, the internal service fees are included now, as well as the shared expenses that we pay 64% of that. Out of our total budget of $26 million, 17,143,000 of that is dedicated to the fire side of the organization. And that is the new funding formula, the 64-36 split. We use that as we move back into trying to identify the cost for service for the agreement. So applying our historical methodology, the one that was used in 2015, we looked at the assessed valuation of the entire county and we found out what grant townships assessed valuation percentage was. The city was 74.67%, but Grant Townships was at 1.14%. So we said of that assessed valuation, we took that 1.14% and applied that to the $17,143,000 of our fire budget, that's 64%. And that came out to $195,430 and 20 cents is what would be the old system that would be applied for the provide fire protection to Grant Township. Tom Fagan, Division Chief of Administration. Uh, so on this slide, um, it, it shows several different alternative uh, formularies to try to determine what the cost of service would be. 
And this is only four, but really there is a myriad of different ways to try to identify the cost. Uh, the first one being cost per capita. Um, we also considered a cost per call, um, but looking at three and four um, against what historically has been placed, been in place uh, in the previous agreement, these were also alternative funding consideration or costing out methodologies. Uh, the first one looking at, again, assessed evaluation, uh, the rate being uh, proportionate to the total fire service area. And so that one would be Grand Township and Lawrence together. Uh, and that percentage would be a 1.5% uh, using today's assessed evaluation if we were to use that methodology. And you can see that amount would be uh, just over 257,000. And then the next one is based on Grant Township's valuation proportionate to the city of Lawrence's valuation, which would be at 1.52%, uh, again, just over $260,000. Uh, but there's several ways to identify cost. Um, but what we have done at this point is to use the, the same methodology that was used historically. So we use the existing methodologies that have been in place previously. And what's important to understand is Grant Township knows that their fire protection that they're provided is underfunded. And that we need to have a more um, stronger uh, support from Grant Township for the provision of that fire service. Realizing that as a ISO rated one community, there is some benefit for the community, commercial industries that are alongside the city boundaries where we have hydrated water. As an ISO class one, we look at water supply, we look at emergency communications, and we look at the fire service. All that figures into the ISO rating. So water supply being a large part of that, I think 40%. And so those facilities, manufacturing and commercial facilities on the edge of our city benefit from having us as a class one organization with ISO for their insurance rating. And so they have that, that benefit as well. But as we look through the, the service, we started looking at the transition and I talked about the 357% since 2005. Grand Township knows that they're underfunding their fire protection. The question for them becomes, can they afford to continue at the level of service delivery that we're providing? What they have asked us to do, and we've, uh, agreed with them to try to move forward is to do a one-year agreement at $160,000. That's $5,000 more, about 3% more than it was last year for those 53 calls that we respond to, to be able to provide that service to Grant Township so they can identify in 2022 what level of service they're going to be able to continue to provide within their township realizing that there are other opportunities for different delivery models than what the city of Lawrence is providing to them. So our recommendation is that we do a one-year agreement for $160,000. We work through 2022 to see if we're able to come up with a new funding methodology that works for the city of Lawrence and Grant Township for the level of service they provide. Mayor Finkelgaard, thank you. Um, questions for Chief Coffee or Chief Hagan? 
Commissioner Larson, um, I had a question. Um, so Sean, could you, or Chief Coffee, I'm sorry. Could you um, tell me how much it actually costs us to do, to provide this service, our actual costs? Well, I can tell you on a cost per call, we can come with an estimate, but realizing that um, the funding formula is always difficult, as you remember in the EMS discussion, as we were going through that, uh, initially we came forward as a project team, we were unable to provide that, Wichita State was unable to provide that. I think when we look at providing 24 hour protection, those resources have to be here, whether they're called out or not. But looking at a cost per call, uh, looking at the FEMA, what they call the NIMS uh, compliance model, right now it says that for a type one engine, which is what we would have, if we sent that out and it was out an hour, they'd be reimbursed at $140. So if we looked at this type of call, if we went out on it, uh, one engine would take $261. You take that times three engines, two medic units, a rescue and a chief's, it comes to about $1,305 if we went out there for an hour based upon what the NIM says the cost is plus our hourly rate. Um, but if you take the, and this is the thing, you never know how many calls you have. Currently with the 53 calls we go on at the $155,000, they're reimbursing us about $2,758 ballpark for calls that when we go out there if you did it by call. So it is difficult and challenging in that there's no, within the fire service industry or the EMS industry to be able to come up with that, hey, is it just this much per call? Because you're paying for those resources, whether they're out on that call or not. Um, Commissioner Larson, thank you, uh, Chief. Um, the new software that we are getting, um, financial software that we are getting, are we going to be able to track that better as to what it actually costs us to provide these services? And I understand you've got to have so much capacity on hand, and, and that's typical for any business. You've got to have so much equipment capacity, so much um, labor capacity, and that's a given. But yeah, it seems to me like we should be able to come up with what does it actually cost us to do this and um, determine if, if – uh, uh, and determine if you know if that's what we're actually charging if we're charging that or if we don't want to charge us that's fine um, but it should be a decision that's made you know at the commission level as to it, whether or not we're going to break even on it or whether or not we're going to lose money on it um, but it just seems to me like we just really need to get a handle on what does it actually cost us to do it um, and then take a look at that and i think uh, we talked a little bit about our record management system does not have that capability but I know the city's in the process of purchasing a new system. And I don't know if Jeremy might be able to shed some light on that as he's worked. I know that's been a rather large uh, project for him. Jeremy Wilmoth, finance director. Um, I do believe that the Ceridian system we're purchasing will give us a little bit more insight than what we have currently. Um, but again, as uh, Chief Coffee alluded to, the uh, cost per call is a very ubiquitous term because the number of calls vary. Um, you know, it's not a static uh, measurement that we're trying to measure our cost against. Um, what we would most likely see is a, a metric that may be a cost per thousand or something that's a little bit more uniform uh, by which we could then compare the cost per thousand residents of Lawrence to the cost per thousand residents of 
a township or the county or any other uh, benchmark. This is Mr. Bowley. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, Mayor Finkel, I, I guess I was going to say, you know, kind of the flip side of, of that question is, I mean, as you said, it depends on the number of calls, right? I mean, last year we had no structure fires. So are we going to base next year on the fact that there wouldn't be any structure fires? Or if lightning strikes and hits a house and starts it on fire, you know, do we think about some reimbursable model? Well, that's very hard for a township to, to you know, know after the fact what they're going to have to pay because they have to set their tax rates beforehand. So, I mean, I, I certainly understand the goal, but I also see the difficulty of, of how you would, you know, figure that out um, at any given time. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult situation. I, I would think from the Grand Township's point of view, what they're thinking is, well, how much would it cost for me to get my own tanker truck and hire two firefighters to sit out there? And at $256,000, I might be able to do that, you know, and I'll take my chances. I mean, you know, I guess that's the, the flip side of that. And so I can see why they need some discussion. Sorry, I got off track there. We're asking questions. Commissioner Bully. Um, thanks, Mayor. Um, you know, we use the pavement condition index to determine the condition of city streets. Uh, Chief, is there a similar index for township roads? Uh, I cannot be 100% sure on this, Commissioner Bowley. Sean Coffey, Fire Chief, I'm sorry. Uh, I looked at the county's website. Uh, they have that on the city's website on the mapping feature. I checked the county's website. I did not find that. Um, I did reach out to some of our personnel as it related to road conditions, just to kind of get a feel from them. Uh, I talked to the station officers, the captains that respond out there, and uh, their feeling was, as you can see from kind of that heat map I showed, our predominant route is on the, the state highways and majors, and they haven't um, experienced any difficulties. The one that did mention said that uh, he did get off when it's very rainy out and muddy, that sometimes that can be a challenge to get through as well. Uh, our medic officers, uh, they respond throughout the county. And uh, as they talked about the road conditions, um, they said there were some uh, spots that uh, could be challenging at times, but they also said there's other areas within the county that they experienced the same challenge. Thank you, Chief. This is Commissioner Bulligan. You know, we invested $3 million or so with the county and the city into the driveways at our fire station in large part to conserve our equipment. Um, and I've been concerned about the equipment going over township roads, but it sounds to me like most of the calls are actually in uh, places that can be served by the highways or county roads, which are pretty good. Yes, sir. But I would tell you, I would like to say they would all be there, but we don't know that. And so uh, we have to be prepared to respond anywhere right now sure. in the township. Uh, this is Commissioner Bull again. Um, you know, at 53 calls, that doesn't sound like very much. But, you know, if you look at it on a per capita basis, um, it seems like it's about twice what, what the number is for actual city of Lawrence. Is that is that accurate? Well, I guess trying to figure that out, when I, when I did that, I took the, it says right now that the township has 440 residents and 53 
uh, incidents, that's about 8.3 incidents uh, per person, right? 8.3 people per incident. And if you take the city and there's 100,000 residents and we had 4,035, that's about 20 feet, 24 people per incident. Wow. So, um, but the problem with that, I would challenge it a little bit, is that remember we're talking about Grant Township, I would tell you, is a main transportation hub. It has I-70 in part of it. It has 2440. It has Highway 59. And we also have the commercial and industrial occupancies there. And so when we say there's 440 residents in there, that may be residents that live there. But like a lot of cities, it ebbs and flows on the population. And so I may say there's only 440 people there. On a busy day when everybody's at work, they're at the plants, at the ICL, Chemtrade, at the uh, the different facilities, the population, I'm sure, swells up above that 440. Thanks, Chief. This is Commissioner Bowling. It seems like it would be challenging to, to provide that service with a couple of guys in the truck, but that's just me. Um, you know, to, to look at the um, recommended amount of 160,000, um, it, it seems like using the most, you know, generous, which is the historical methodology, that's still a subsidy of, of $35,000 plus by the city taxpayers to Grant Township. Um, I'm, I'm concerned about that. Can you respond on that, Chief? What, what are we buying with that $35,000? With that $195,000, as we were entered into the negotiations and discussions with Grant Township, there was some real concern on their part of being able to moving forward, how they'd be able to fund the level of service that they had. And their request was, could we move forward one more year to be able to still make a determination of whether we're going to continue with this service delivery. And if we could do that, um, we we're hopeful to be able to get that through. It was an extra $5,000 and as a concession to be able to get that through versus maybe not having a contract and canceling of the service or going with a different provider of the service. And so it was a compromise and at the, at the reduction of the $35,000, uh, I definitely, if we go with that, we have let Grant Township know that, that that would not be a consideration going forward after 2022, that it, at a minimum, it'd have to be, we say 195, realizing though with our budget change, then uh, the assessed valuation changes, that number will probably change even to a higher number. And that, that's where we're going to be looking at this, not back at the 160. This Commissioner Bully, so essentially what you're saying is we've been subsidizing them for years. We're just increasing a little bit because we're going to continue the subsidy for another year while they figure out what they want to do. We're going to try to get through one more year and be able to provide it. And we've been working hard to try to ramp that up. Like I talked about that 357% increase since 2005, but, but we need to get this and have it formulated and a decision made and by doing one year and with the idea that that's it. This Commissioner Boley, um, I guess what I would respond to that is, 
you know, I had no idea that $5,000 or whatever it was, was the right number back then. You know, um, you know, I think the historic record may be flawed in this whole, whole deal. And I, I got to say, I appreciate your consideration for your responsibilities to the public and wanting to extend this service. I, I really do appreciate that. It's important to realize that, you know, you've been providing, you know, service to these folks um, for, for your career at our, um, at our department. But I'm really concerned about the effect on the tax pressure as well. But anyway, I'm past my questions. Thank you. Commissioner Mully, this is Commissioner Ananda. I will say, you know, um, as someone who regularly goes to Grant Township, because I have a kid who goes to a school there, um, the not highway roads are like driving on the moon. Um, our road was unpaved and um, 60 families use that road every day. And it is a nightmare. Um, when it rains, it is a slick um, and there are ditches and it is highly unpleasant. And I would say, you know, I am very grateful for the city providing this service. I would definitely be uncomfortable um, sending my kiddos to a school where, you know, it's two people in a truck. Um, that's going to save that school from a fire versus, you know, our well-trained, highly responsive, um, very effective fire department. So I'm hopeful that that conversation for next year's contract will be fruitful. Um, and I guess, so I did have a question. It wasn't comment time, um, <laughs> but I did want to answer Commissioner Bully's question about the roads um, out there. Um, so I am wondering, you know, is there an impact? I know that they have to, because they have early childhood, have, you know, inspections for KDG and um, fire inspectors, et cetera. Would that apply to those services as well to that school in particular? if that contract weren't approved for 2022. I'm sorry, Commissioner, was that, is that for me, Sean Coffey, Fire Chief? Commissioner Nadi, yes. I, I believe you're the one that can probably have the answer okay. to that question. So um, is it, I guess just for my orientation purposes, is that what used to be called the uh, old, um, yeah, Grant Township School? The Grant School, yeah. Yes, Grant School, yes. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what the, state's requirements are. Obviously, we we like to have a, a surface that's improved enough that has the capacity to carry our apparatus. If we're not able to get there, we can't do any good for anybody. And so we're large, we move slowly in the mud, and we don't do very well off-road. So it's important that we have an improved surface as much as possible to be able to get where we are. And so uh, that would always be a discussion that uh, our folks, when they're out there, uh, the road that brought, was brought to my attention was the one just on the west side of the airport uh, that they said had a tendency to be rather slick when it got, um, uh, as we use the term, greasy, um, when it got wet. And so they were concerned about that one. This is Commissioner Nottis. So I think the other part of my question was around like inspections and things like that for schools or other businesses out there. Would those be associated with that contract as well? Would they not be able to access those services either? That's a great question. Uh, we do not provide any community risk reduction uh, support out there. So inspections, we do not provide that. 
any building inspections, any public education, none of that's provided for us. Now that those fees are figured into the cost, but we do not provide community risk reduction. We don't, our fire investigators don't even investigate unless we're asked by the sheriff's office. They're the initial investigators. And then if they need assistance, they'll call us. Mayor Finger, I'll go ahead and open this to public comment before we bring it back for more discussion. Sherry, is anyone present in the City Hall? No, Mayor. Mayor Finkler, I thank you. If any person online would like to make comment on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. There's no comment. Mayor Finkler, bring it back to the commission for comments, questions or motions. This Commissioner Bowley, um, I'm concerned about the subsidy um, in a year that, you know, we're, you know, we got significant budget concerns. Um, I, I guess I'd like to continue the conversation now about this agreement before we uh, approve it. Um, you know, I think it's worthwhile to have a continued discussion with Grand Township about whether these terms are fair to the Lawrence taxpayers. And I think it's important for the, the businesses that are served by this, the residents that are served by this, have an opportunity to think about it as well as, as our Lawrence residents. Um, again, I appreciate the service that's been provided since 1979. It's commendable, but you know, with our budget situation, I think we need to be looking at a lot of things like this. And I appreciate all the work that went into the, you know, revision of the agreement with the county because, you know, that that's made us think about a lot of these things. So that's where I am on this. This is Commissioner Larson. Um, and, you know, I, I would be able to support that, Commissioner Bowley, to at least take a longer look at this just to make sure we understand all the potential ramifications of what we're doing here, as well as the impact to our actual taxpayers. And, you know, there's always going to be some services where there's a subsidy involved to some degree or another. And I think we need to make sure we fully understand what that subsidy would, would entail and how it impacts our taxpayers, and then make a decision as to whether or not we want to pro continue to provide that. So I would be more willing to take a longer look at this. Vice Mayor Shipley, could I be sure and clarify that this contract ends in December? Yes, ma'am. Sean Coffey, Fire Chief, does expire on the 31st of December. Mayor Finkel, that was my question too. Commissioner Boyle, you, you, you wanted to negotiate the one-year deal or you wanted to try to negotiate a, a full five-year deal or something between now and the end of the year? I think that, you know, a week or two deferral would still give us meetings this month where we could have conversations about whether we're going to do a full year contract, whether we do a partial year contract, what the rate would be, um, you know, what assurances they can give us about how, what they're going to do with their roads, what that we're putting our equipment on. I think there are things that weren't talked about in these discussions 
because frankly, we were just rolling over an agreement and trying to get through another year. I think we could talk about them now and just say, you know, if this is what it's costing the Lawrence taxpayers, maybe you can do a little bit more than upping at $5,000. That's another thing. So, I mean, I, I think the conversation could continue instead of having us just say, okay, fine, we're going to subsidize another year and, and call it good. This is Commissioner Ananda. I think that um, I definitely think there's space for that conversation. I also think that um, any any modification that would come anywhere close to covering the gap of what we're subsidizing isn't going to necessarily be reached in two weeks, um, particularly presuming that they've already done their budgets um, and that you know, <laughs> the Grant Township holds their meetings at the at the school space. So, you know, um, in our dialogues with them through renting that space for the school, I have some sense of their budget capacity. Um, and it certainly doesn't have 30 grand sitting around um, to, to, to throw at this. Um, that said, I, ha I haven't been there in a few years on the board, but I think that um, giving a year to let them make long-term plans that are more sustainable um, and that are more aligned without creating, you know, a pulling the rug kind of situation for them may be preferable. I mean, I'm open to having more dialogue about that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm unwilling to say, um, you know, if, if that were to fall apart, then fend for yourselves. Um, despite our long history with them. This Commissioner Bowie, I don't feel like that's what I'm saying. And I'd also point out that um, their municipal mill levy is about 10 mills lower than ours. So, um, you know, I think that there are other ways that we can look at some numbers. And I think maybe we should look at more numbers as we have these conversations. But I'm, I, I think it's important to realize the relationship and that they need to realize the relationship as well. Mayor Finkel, I, I guess, I guess I'm on, I mean, I think if we want to talk about this more, we should defer it and possibly talk about it in an executive session. I don't feel real good about negotiating in public about some of my thoughts on some of these items. So I guess, Listening to Commissioner Bully, I, I, I think maybe we would defer this and bring it back in a couple of weeks um, and see what you know information we can gather. And if we need to talk about an executive session between now and then, we can do that. Um, would be my thought process. It would just be a motion to defer. This is Commissioner Bully. I appreciate that, Mayor. I'm I'm fully open to that. Commissioner Arson, I would support that too. This Commission Bully, I move that we um, defer this item two weeks and consider an executive session next week, perhaps. That's a perhaps an emotion. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> um, executive session next week, defer two weeks, come back and, and figure it out. Commissioner Ars, is that a motion there, Commissioner Bully? 
that's a motion. I'm sorry, it's a little, uh, a little, it's a tired motion. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Larson, I would have second that. Mayor Finley, Vice Mayor Shipley appears to be thinking about this. So before I call just to a vote, did you have any questions about that motion or, or thoughts or? Or if I, if I delay long enough, I could give you some more time to think as I before. No, uh, Mayor, I appreciate you um, as always, um, Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, yeah, I'm going to struggle with this. Um, uh, I'm, there's a certain kind of I'm concerned that we're down to the wire for uh, another community. Um, they are our neighbors. Um, we have been working with them. Um, I don't know that I have the same ax to grind on uh, the townships or the counties. Um, and, and I'm, I'm concerned that the, the way that this might be approached is damaging to that relationship and just general courtesy. So I'm willing to have a discussion in an executive session um, when, and I agree, Mayor, that that's appropriate. Um, but I also am, am not convinced that um, giving a smaller entity um, a year to think really hard about um, what they can do um, is that hard for our community. So I guess I have 50 seconds to decide. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor Finkeldai, um, say this really slowly as you think. Okay, <laughs> there is a motion by Commissioner Bully. There is a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Bully. Aye. Commissioner Lawson. Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley. Aye. Commissioner Ananda. Nay. Mayor Finkeldai, aye, passes four to one. Chief Coffee, thank you. Um, and I guess we'll see you back in two weeks for a little more discussion on this item. That ends our regular agenda and takes us to commissioning items. Any commissioners have any commission items? Seeing none, that takes us to the city manager's report. Craig? Good evening, uh, city manager Craig Owens. Um, there are five items uh, on the report this evening. Um, the first one is uh, just an update about um, the planning efforts that have gone into our winter emergency shelter uh, planning and programming. Um, just to summarize, um, they, we've been working on this for many months and um, there uh, continues to be complexity with the with the, the continuing pandemic and COVID surging in our community and around the country. So um, that that complexity and uncertainty certainly hasn't made that planning easier. But um, we have prepared some options. We're still continuing to work with community uh, partners um, and continue conversations. But we wanted you to have an update of where we are today with it. Uh, and I you know I was. Grateful that it is getting a little more attention because um, 
it's an important item and, and it's uh, pressing with our uh, changing weather conditions. Happy to answer any questions on that before moving on. Uh, Finkelai, any questions or? I would just say, I mean, certainly I appreciate the update. I know this is something, you know, we've been working hard on, staff has been working hard on and community members have, as well as, you know, something that's in our strategic plan. And certainly I hope between this agenda item and the story in the paper, maybe we do get some churches who are willing to step up and partner with us. That's certainly our first choice to figure out how we can, um, you know, move this forward and, and again, historically. So hopefully that, that comes to be, if not, we have to continue to look at other options as, as we push forward. And I know those other options being considered and, and there's a lot more discussion to be had on that. And, um, but, but I think the first step is to get this out there and, and see who's willing to partner with us. And, and then we know what our options are going forward. Other questions or comments on that? I know this will probably be a ongoing conversation. We might see this on many city managers reports and or action mm -hmm. agenda items going forward, but uh, thank you for the work on that. I know Brandon and Danny are working hard on it as well. Yes, indeed. As well as many of our service providers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, City Manager Craig Owens. Um, so the rest are pretty uh, more standard uh, reports, uh, ex ex um, future work session items, uh, upcoming agenda items, um, the building permits and sales tax report. And again, happy to answer any questions you may have. May I think a lot of questions or comments? I would. I like those building reports and sales tax reports that are positive like these two. If we can continue those for the, for the near and long term, we'd appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> those are good reports. Any questions for Craig on those reports? Seeing none, this is a public hearing item. If any member of the public would like to speak about one of those five items, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. Reach out to me today. Uh, no one has indicated they want to speak to this item. Mayor Finkel, I thank you. Um, that brings us to the calendar. Any comments on the calendar? Mayor Finkel, I see no um, uh, items on the calendar. Oh, go ahead, Commissioner Lawson. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't get my little thing to unmute. Um, I did want to just um, uh, make a note that this Saturday, October 9th, that the Community Remembrance Project will be having their event for a memorial for the lynchings that occurred in 1882, and it'll be underneath the Kansas River Bridge at... Um, 10 a.m. So that's an event that um, has been long in the making over a year working on it. And we finally able to get it um, set to um, have that ceremony. Mayor Fingal, I thank you for that. Other comments on the calendar? 
seeing none, that'll take us to our executive session. And um, before we make a motion to move into executive session about this personnel matter, um, I did have a conversation with Tony last time I had mentioned we would be talking about the city manager's review and about the process. And, um, you know, Tony correctly mentioned that the process wouldn't necessarily be the subject of an executive session. The review part would be, but not necessarily the process. So I wanted to make clear that um, and bring up before we go into executive session, um, my idea on the process this year would be for us to have this 20-minute executive session tonight. In the next meeting or two, have an executive session with Craig where he brings his self-evaluation and we have a joint session. And then as necessary, there would be a third um, meeting in which we you know, finalize that evaluation, performance review, and so forth. That's kind of the process I'm thinking about. From a pure process standpoint, um, anyone have any thoughts or comments on that process? Yes, Commissioner Bowler, I'm okay with it. Okay. Okay, we just want to be clear on that. And so now I think we can um, look for a motion to move into executive session. Yes, Commissioner Bowley. I move we recess in executive session for approximately 20 minutes to discuss a personnel matter involving a city employee pursuant to the non-elected personnel matter exemption KSA 75-4319B1. The justification of the executive session is to protect employee privacy. The city commission will be meeting will resume in its virtual format in accordance with resolution number 7388 at the conclusion of the executive session. Mr. Rush, a second. Mayor Finkeldy, a motion by Commissioner Bully, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Mayor Finkeldy, aye. That will bring us back at 9.59. It will give us one minute to adjourn before 10 o'clock. So we will see you at 9.59. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty-nine. We are back in executive session and have nothing to report. But I'll go ahead and take roll call. And forget this time. Vice Mayor Shipley. Here. Commissioner Ananda. Here. Commissioner Lawson. Here. Commissioner Bully. Here. Mayor Finkel, I am here as well. And again, we have nothing to report from executive session. I look for a motion to adjourn. Commissioner Ananda, I move to adjourn. Commissioner Washington, second. Motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. Passes five to zero. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.